Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I have to believe that's not exactly what Mizzou was expecting offensively when they hired Eli Drinkwitz. And I wonder how far down the road they go before they decide, okay, this isn't working the way we expected it to work. Now Cook's going to throw the deep ball, and Burke's past the defense! Touchdown, Luther Burke! I've not seen anything out of this Mizzou's, Mizzou offense for several years now. I know it's a new OC. I know it's a new play caller. It's the same damn offense. Cook pumps, throws, Burden... In space, that's where you want him to get the football, and he takes it to the house. I want to believe in this Tigers team so badly. And if they beat Kansas State this weekend, dude, you will not hear anybody gloat more than I will. But first, you got to beat K-State, and I don't think they can do it, so I'm going to take K-State minus the three now. It is Brooks. Mevis kick on the way. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like on Saturday via ESPN. Alex Ferrario, I said on Friday when we made the pick, nobody believes in this team to beat Kansas State. That included me. But if they did, there would be nobody in St. Louis that would gloat more than myself because our Tigers, M-I-Z, they are back, baby. Hit that, hit that song, team. Raise your hand if your favorite college football team is 3-0 to start the season. T-Bone, hand down. Hand down. The Missouri Tigers, for the first time since 2018, have started the season 3-0. They pick up a win at home against a top 15 opponent for the first time since 2013. They defeat a non-conference opponent as an unranked team that was ranked for the first time since 1990. Alex, I'm feeling pretty damn good on this Monday morning. What'd you think? Also, raise your hand if you're like every other Mizzou fan like me sitting at home when they said there's a flag on the field on that oh. field goal, thinking that it was against Mizzou and it was going to get reversed and they were still going to lose that game. Yeah. Raise my hand. Yeah. <laughs> everybody in the room, put me, me if you're listening right now, please raise ev- your hand. Everybody was storming the field and I'm thinking, well, these guys are all stupid because they're going to have to go back to their seats because this game's going to not be done yet. But luckily, the Mizzou one was. I, I loved everything about that. I texted you guys when it happened. It's rare that I shout at the television, but after that one, when he kicked the field goal and it was over, I shouted loud enough to wake up both of my girls from their nap. And it's been a very long time since I've been able to do that for Mizzou. Everything about that 
game was what I wanted to see. They were aggressive. They brought out the big booming plays. They showcased their talent on the offensive side. And the defense, the defense stood strong. I ished they did on what they needed to do. I ished on drink for a week about not being aggressive and like you're being this like closed minded coach. He basically gave me the middle finger on a Saturday, and I'm okay with that because I just desperately want that excitement for Mizzou football. It was not perfect, but it didn't have to be. I said before the game, this is a pass-fail test. This is one of those situations where, Alex, you probably had these classes in, in school at some point yeah, in your life where it was either fail. you either pass it or you fail it. There's no in-between. There was no gray area. That's what this was on Saturday. Missouri has failed almost every single time in these opportunities to pick up a meaningful win, a signature victory, whether it's under Eli Drinkwitz, under Barry Odom. They did it once. Eli, at the very beginning of his tenure, this was in 2020 when all of us were trying to figure out what the hell was going on in the world, they beat LSU, an LSU team that was coming off of the national championship. But that team was not the LSU team that we knew the year prior. They were ranked 17 at the time. They ended up not being particularly good that season. But it felt big in the moment. And it felt like, okay, this is a sign of things to come. And then we went through the next two seasons, and it very much was not. So for them to be able to get that win on Saturday was not just meaningful for Drinkwitz, but it's meaningful for the program because it shows you they can punch up. They have the ability to beat teams. I think Kansas State is better than Missouri, but they beat Kansas State on that day, and that's all you got to do. Brett Bielema has shown this at Illinois. He showed it last year. He's shown we can beat teams that are better than us because we're going to find a way on that specific day to be better than them. That's what we needed to see from Drinkwitz. I didn't know if they could do it going into that game now they've shown they have the the ability yeah that's that's the game that the program really needed to the tigers because of what we've talked about you know drinks arguably one of the best recruiters missouri's had the best ever no no doubt about it and he's been able to bring in talent but bringing in talents one thing winning with talents another and now that you start to see like luther burden five-star recruit was awesome in that game against kansas state looks like a legitimate threat for the missouri tigers where last year it was like eh, okay they didn't did they get burden involved enough didn't look like a looked like a guy that adapted well to the sec and now he's playing like a star and looked great over 100 receiving yards again in that game against kansas state and now as you said they get the win that they desperately needed at home against kansas state and now you can dream as a mizzou fan and that's the most important part about anything when you're talking about a college football program now i'm gonna go a step too far and t-bone you can go ahead and reel okay, back okay. in if I you want dream. to let's see where you go here they can win the sec east okay let's uh let's bring it back a little bit i'm now. not predicting it i would right now have them as the third team in the SEC East this year. That's where That's I would currently project where them to typically be. At. 100%. They should finish the season with at least eight wins. That's what Saturday did. It allowed you to dream a little bit, like T-Bone said. But when you look at the schedule now, nothing looks impossible. LSU is a very good football team, but that's a game at home. You should be able to at least be competitive. We saw Missouri be competitive at home last year against Georgia, and that Georgia team was better than this LSU team. The rest of the SEC, by the way, guys, we've been saying this now for about a week or two. It is just not a very good conference this year, especially relative to their typical expectations. Georgia struggled over the weekend. They were sleepwalking through the first half of that game against South Carolina. Tennessee is not good. Their quarterback, as I said last week, what does he do? 
He can't hit a barn. He can't the hit the broadside broad of the barn. barn. You were right Come there. Come on, man. I know Florida. Barn. I saw. Florida got a nice win over the weekend. Did nobody watch them against Utah? Are we now just of the belief that this team is fixed and everything's going to be hunky dory? I'm the surprised rest of the they way? got to 25 in the AP it's poll rankings. It's insanity. Missouri should be ranked ahead of Florida today. There is no game on this schedule now that is unwinnable. <laughs> that does not mean they will win all of them. But what that win against Kansas State allows you to do as a Mizzou fan now is it allows you to think, hey, maybe this could be one of those special seasons. It reminds me a lot of 2014. That 2014 team was not like the 2013 team one. That 2013 team was legitimately great. 2014, they got a lot of breaks. They ended up being in what was a very down SEC East, and they took advantage of a weaker schedule. That's what this team has the potential to do, and it all started on Saturday in that huge win against the Kansas State Wild. I'm not going to reel you in, buddy. I'm going to actually just cast that rod even further right now because we're going to the championship. No, no, not that one. But I do think that this team stays undefeated up until Georgia, which is wild to me because I originally thought like LSU is probably going to be a loss, but LSU eh, haven't been that impressed. Kentucky, South Carolina. Again, this is the... This is the most disturbing I have ever been with Mizzou to where in a matter of weeks, I've gone from seven wins to eight wins back to six wins. Now I'm at nine wins. Ten. All right. Can I get an 11? No. No, (laughs) you can't. I mean, if you beat Georgia, who are you really going to lose to? Uh, Let me let me reel in the expectations here because they are not winning the SEC East. There's this program called Georgia that though they are down, they nearly are still good here. LSU is still a very good football team. I know that they lost Eh. week one to Florida State. Florida State, as we see, looks like a potential playoff caliber football team. So does Mizzou. I'm not going to shut you guys down from being top three in the SEC East because I do believe that is reasonable because they should beat Tennessee at home against a quarterback that can't hit a barn. Um, Florida, I agree. They are not a good football team. I'm surprised that they got into the top 25. And everybody reacting to that game was like, oh, my gosh, what a surprise. No, not really. (laughs) Not a surprise because Tennessee stinks. I wanted to pick Tennessee, but I didn't trust you. Or excuse me, I wanted to pick Florida, but I didn't trust either of those two teams. I I was like, I'm just not touching I had the same exact thought going into that football game. I think there's two maybe three losses on a schedule. I can see a hiccup coming somewhere along the line. I think nine wins is where you should be at, and I agree. Top three in the SEC East, I'm not going to push back on. I'm I'm going to push back a lot when we say they're winning the East because they're still Georgia, and though I think they are a down, in a down year, that is still a loaded defense, and that team is going to be able to win a lot of football games, if not get to the playoff just because of the defense. Somebody on the text line is saying what we've been saying for a couple of weeks from the 314. And by the way, you guys can get involved in the show. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Pac-12 is the deepest and the best conference this year, hands down. Totally agree. There's no doubt about it. Best quarterback play, best offenses. Yeah, there's some defenses that aren't great in the conference, but USC. The the Pac-12 is the best conference in America this year. In a year, that will be the final season for the conference. But the SEC East, like you look at it, Georgia's really good. I'm not going to try to downplay that, but they're not as good as they have been in recent years. That is what the mark was for them. They were the best team in the country. Now they're just one of a few very good teams. Florida's fine. Kentucky's eh. Tennessee, eh. South Carolina, okay. They're all kind of like Mizzou. Like they, on any given day, you could see them lose. Now, I love this because this these are my people. Alex, these are our people, really. Not Tanner. From the text line. Guys, I'm a Mizzou fan. The most Mizzou thing ever 
will be for them to go into this weekend and lose against Memphis yeah. here in St. Louis. Let's oh, go, yeah. Tigers. Absolutely. Drink got aggressive in one game and then goes back to being, Sir, well, let's just punt. Or madam, you didn't even have to text in that you're a Missouri fan. It was implied by what you said there. Because you're 100% correct. I said that to Alex and T-Bone before the show today. The most Mizzou thing ever would be for them to pick up a win like that. And then in a potential trap game here in St. Louis against Memphis, a team that is really solid. And if you look at any of the advanced numbers is like the equivalent of playing against South Carolina. But none of us look at them that way because it's Memphis and they're a group of five team instead of a power five opponent. This is going to be like a one touchdown game going into the weekend. Missouri can absolutely lose this game coming off of an emotional and physical win at home against Kansas State. But you can't let it happen. This is another pass fail test. Because after your biggest win, they all just get that much bigger. The stakes continue to rise that much more. You got to start 4-0 for the first time since 2013. That is what is on the line this weekend. We'll get more into Missouri as we continue along the rest of the way this week. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Miles Michaelis is going to join the show on behalf of Big League Impact. Excited to talk to him about his new facial hair situation over the weekend. Talk to him about what his offseason plans are. We'll talk to Miles Michaelis coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, we got to dive into some of the biggest stories coming off of the weekend, including the Bills, the Bengals, the Jaguars, the Chiefs, and the Chargers. Alex, there are combined three and seven to start out the season. Those are arguably the five teams we all thought were going to be the best in the AFC. What's going on? Is this conference a little more open than we thought it was going to be? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll be talking to Miles Michaelis. He's participating in the all-win campaign on behalf of Big League Impact. We'll talk to him about what he's doing there and what led to his decision to shave his entire face. Alex, I know you've gone through some similar decisions, so uh, we'll get into all of that. The hard-hitting questions, you can only get those here on BK and Ferrario. But right now, let's get into some NFL quick hitters coming off of what was an intriguing week in the NFL. Alex, when we came into this NFL season, I think all of us believed there were a few, maybe four or five, legitimate contenders in the AFC. I think all of us would agree the Bills, Bengals, Jaguars, Chiefs, and Chargers were among those contenders in the conference. Well, through two weeks, those teams are a combined three and seven. And if you watch the games, it feels even worse than that. Alex, is this conference more open than what we were all anticipating going into the season? I think it's still top heavy. I think you still have the top four, top five teams that are clear cut going to the playoffs, but I do think it's more open in the bottom in terms of teams that can sneak in. I mean, again, Ravens, Chiefs, Chargers, Bills, those teams, Dolphins, those are the teams that we knew going into the season that were going to be playoff contenders. But now we get to the conversation of, okay, are the Raiders for real or not? I don't think they are. I think this past week proved that. Um, I, I, 
I, I was actually a little bit more bought in on the Colts this season until Anthony Richards' issues yesterday. Well, were, I mean, he looked great. He, he looked got great. Concussed. But that's what I'm saying. I, I actually... Kind of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they looked better than what the Jaguars have looked in two weeks. And then the Jaguars, of course, are still at the top. So I do think, I think this is top-heavy. And then the bottom, you're going to have four or five teams competing for a playoff spot. I thought the team that we saw last night has opened up my eyes a little bit. Though. Miami. I didn't know that Miami was going to be as good as they are right now. And... They did not play a perfect game, but that's a game against the New England Patriots where a lot of people were saying, hey, Bill Belichick's going to have some answers. There weren't many. That offense is legit, man. Tua is really good, and he's getting rid of the ball quickly, and he's got weapons that can go off at any given time. Great so, when he threw that interception. I, I think that the Dolphins have established themselves as a real contender. I don't know what to make of the Browns at the quarterback position. Deshaun Watson looks terrible in week one. Tonight's going to be a big game for them, man. If they're able to pick up a win in this one, at some point, we're going to talk about them as a real contender in this conference as well. So I think we're just, instead of it being the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Bengals, and then everybody else a tier below that, I think those three teams at the top have taken a step back, and the other teams that were maybe in tier two have taken a little bit of a step forward. And so it's just this muddled middle where everybody feels like they're kind of the same early in the season. And I agree with you in terms of where we're at right now, but I think we're going to get back to where those top teams get back to that top tier. Because I I think right now what you're seeing is the early nuisance of not not everybody playing in the preseason, you know, Burrow dealing with the calf in training camp. Like I think you said, I think it was last week, you know, week four, week five. Then we're really going to see these teams yep. playing at their top level. And I think you got to wait until then. I, I think the first four weeks, random ish is going to happen. You're going to see a team like Cleveland that you buy into. And then by the end of the year, they're going to be out of the playoff picture. I think it's still a top heavy conference. I will say, Miami, I agree with you. They have impressed me. And I don't know how the hell you stop them because they look great offensively. But outside of them, I think it is a muddy middle. But I think the teams like the Chiefs, I still think the Chargers in Jacksonville are going to emerge as true contenders in this conference. All right, let's continue with some NFL quick hitters going around the league from the first from the second week of the season guys Chicago is in a bad spot right now they are terrible and at the quarterback position you guys know I was excited about Justin Fields coming into this year he does not appear to be it yesterday against the Buccaneers who do have a good defense but guys let's be honest that offense should not be the way that they are Justin Fields finished 16 for 29 for 200 yards a touchdown two interceptions was sacked six times in the game had a quarterback rating of 60 and maybe most disappointing four carries for three yards did have a touchdown there Alex are you starting to think that Justin Fields is not the answer long term in Chicago yeah I mean some of the decision making that he has on the field is concerning and and he was talking I saw the video post game yesterday of the the situation he was in when he threw the pick six that mm-hmm. was like seven yards away from the end zone and he blamed the offensive coordinator for it and that's not the mindset you're going to need if you're Justin Fields I was excited because they got DJ Moore and I'm like okay he's got a legit weapon now and then Chase Claypool emerges from the abyss yesterday also I think the offense has the ability to still be dynamic, but the decision makings from Justin Fields has me concerned that he's the actual QB one for that team probably will be the rest of this season. But if Chicago underwhelms, I'm sure internally they're going to start asking the questions 
are we better off drafting somebody this upcoming year? Yeah, I, I'm losing a lot of faith in Justin Fields, and I was high on him coming into the year. I thought he was going to continue to take that next step and really solidify himself as QB1 and the franchise quarterback moving forward, and it just does not look like the case. It is the decision-making, the lack of going deep down the field. And as you said, BK, only four carries for three yards. What's that about? They've got to utilize his legs. It's the conversation we had about Josh Allen last week. He is not a great quarterback if he's not using his legs and him just trying to stay in the pocket and throw the football he's not going to win that way I still think there's a future for Justin Fields I just don't know if it's going to be in Chicago with this specific offense the O-line sucks the coaching is an atrocity and the situation has just not been good if this doesn't get any better I could see them moving on after the season and ultimately going in a different direction they have their pick they also have the Texans pick so they're going to be able to kind of maneuver at the top of the draft and we know this is a very good quarterback class all right last thing to get to here through some NFL quick hitters this will be a quick one T-Bone I know you want to talk about this today Puka Nakua looks like one of the best wide receivers in the NFL right now and the LA Rams look competitive I know. I don't know that they're good. That defense is not good. They, no, the defense is bad. The offense has a chance to be okay, though, and Puka Nakua is a big part of that. He looks like Cooper Cup out there. Like, if you didn't know any better, you would just be like, "Oh, yeah, that's the guy that we were taking top five in all of our fantasy drafts uh, over the off season." T Bone, we'll start with you. Are you buying into this Rams offense specifically because of Puka Nakua, who had 15 catches yesterday for 150 yards? on 20 targets unbelievable yeah i'm buying in now i agree with you i don't think they're a great football team if they're getting in they're getting in with like 10 wins but i'm buying in because puka looks great and i it's got me dreaming you know i'm dreaming oh, what happens dreaming cooper, about all the trades that wait, they're gonna make no when cooper cup comes back if he comes back him and puka and stafford looks incredible right now and by the way the old line is a lot better than i all the talking in the preseason like listening to podcasts reading on the rams i was like yeah this is a bunch of garbage just playing on the line it's been pretty good so far and give credit to sean mcveigh to scheme things up for puka as well puka does look like cooper cup out there he's and, a stud man he's really good and i thought for sure that stafford was going to find somebody that he liked because he always has one right receiver that he's just going to target a ton last year it was cup we've seen in the past in detroit it was calvin johnson i thought it was going to be van jefferson this year and like van jefferson's been like scoop to the side and now it's puka time so i'm all aboard the la rams again they're not great but they're a good football i think this is another reminder that when a quarterback is hurt it's really hard to evaluate what's going on around them and you last year i think we now see like matt stafford was just hurt he's an elevator of talent there are very few of those guys in the league but matt stafford when healthy elevates the talent around him Remember that saying you did previously in the segment where you were like, weirdish happens in the first couple of weeks of the season? Yeah. That's the weirdish that's happening. Ooh, the Rams okay. are actually showcasing their offense. I mean, He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, we got some questions of our own for Miles Michaelis. If he could go deep sea fishing with any three people alive or dead, who would he choose for his expedition? We'll ask Miles Michaelis next year on 101 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Walker got a good jump and a diving catch. Great way to start the game for Jordan Walker. And Dakota Hudson, one out. Swing and a drive. Walker has launched one, and the Cardinals are back in front. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like on Valley Sports Midwest over the weekend. Another big weekend for Jordan Walker, the Cardinals' young superstar talent. We're hoping to be joined by Miles Michaelis here in just a little bit, uh, trying to connect with him. But Alex, over the weekend, we saw more improvement, both offensively and defensively, from Jordan Walker. And I think this is something that we've discussed a bit, but it's probably, to me, the single most encouraging sign for 2024. Walker no longer looks like a defensive liability to me. He looks like a guy that I'm totally comfortable with out in right field. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to be a plus defender and he's never going to make any mistakes, but he made a big-time catch in right field early in that game the other day. And if he continues to do this, man, going into next season, you don't have to worry about that position, not just for next year, but for the next decade. And there doesn't also need to be any conversation about him moving to first base because now he can be an asset for you with that arm, with that and athleticism, as long as he continues with these reads, these jumps that he's getting in right field. And now fans can stop clamoring for the Cardinals to trade Paul Goldschmidt Absolutely. so they have a better position for Jordan Walker. It does a lot of things. One, you're a little bit more optimistic about your outfield defense next year, and that's going to benefit you in terms of free agency of who you're going after. And two, you're you're finally going to be able to utilize that DH the way you want to. Rather than feel like, well, we have to play Jordan Walker there because we're not too sure about the offer or the defense. Now you're only really worried about Wilson Contreras at the DH, and you're hoping that that improves where he's playing catcher. So now you can utilize those days off a lot more for certain guys to keep them fresh throughout the season. So you desperately needed Jordan Walker to take this step. I was still optimistic that a young kid who's got the first first year in the majors underneath his belt was able to improve in that area. And now I'm starting to look at this outfield defense next year, pending some type of free agent or trade of a large new bar, Jordan Walker, and then if Tommy Edmund is your center fielder, and then your backup is Palacios and Alec Burleson, you're looking a lot better than what you were at the beginning of the season when I said, boy, I don't know how this is going to work. It just feels more settled yeah. in the outfield which is what, they what it's need. been in a really long time. Yeah, it really does. And that's what I was going to say. Is It's good to see him showing these improvements, which, again, I thought were going to happen, but it's happening at an accelerated rate that I was not expecting because now you can really write Jordan Walker in permanent marker in right field for five or six days a week then have maybe that one day where you DH more than one day where you get him off his feet and just give him an off day. There is no more, okay, do we like him in this scenario in terms of playing in the outfield because we're in Pittsburgh and that's a tough wall. Okay, no, we got DH, man. It just changes everything. Now that you can feel comfortable putting him in right field, your pitchers feel comfortable with him in right field where they don't feel like he's a liability anymore, it just changes everything. And now you can see, too, he just feels more comfortable, feels more confident, and I, I know it's kind of a cliche saying, but good defense can lead to good offense. And you saw that a lot with Colton Wong when Colton Wong was here, where he'd make a great defensive play and he'd have a great at-bat the next inning. I think that kind of stuff matters because now he doesn't have to worry, okay, am I going to get pulled in the seventh inning because I'm not good enough defensively? Are the Cardinals going to trust me to do this? No, Ollie Marmol and staff now trust him because he looks like a capable outfielder out there, and he is starting to make all those improvements, and he's a difference maker too in the outfield. Look at his arm. His arm has prevented yeah. a lot of guys from trying to extend plays into – doubles or trying to go first to third or even second to home and that's a big thing for Jordan Walker because he has shown that he's got accuracy and strength with the throws to where he's able to keep players where they say okay I can't stretch this thing any further or I'm going to be an out so there are nine players along with Jordan Walker who just became yesterday the 10th at the age of 21 or younger to hit at least 16 home runs and bat 270 on the season those players are as follows in the last decade can't wait for this 
Julio Rodriguez, Michael Harris II, Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto, Gleyber Torres. Damn, man. What, what could have been there? Carlos Correa, Mike Trout, and Bryce Harper. He's keeping the company that you wanted him to keep, man. They sat all along, and I think sometimes he falls victim to the Cardinals, the ghosts of prospects past, where they didn't leave, live up to expectations, and so it's like, oh, well, Jordan Walker's clearly going to fail then because all of these other guys weren't as good as they were hyped up to be. This is the difference, when we said it before the season, between a legit Major League Baseball top prospect and a Cardinals top prospect. Not all top prospects in the Cardinals system end up in the top five in Major League Baseball. That's what Jordan Walker was. He was in the class with Julio Rodriguez and Ronald Acuna Jr. and Carlos Correa, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper. Those were his peers with the way that they had prospect pedigree. So moving forward, that's the company that I expect him to keep continuously. Like I think that he can be the next guy that is a 270 consistently hitter. He might even be better than that because of the contact that he's able to get. And I think he could be a 25 home run player. I didn't know that we were going to see this kind of pop in year one, guys. He missed, what was it, 30 games yeah. early in the season because they sent him back down to the minors. Next year, it, it should not be crazy for him to bat 270, get on base 35% of the time, and pop 25 home runs at Bush Stadium. That would be a remarkable season for a guy that is just 22 years old. What's wild about That's it is— That's all-star caliber stuff. What's wild, too, is as a Cardinals fan, like you mentioned, the ghost of Cardinals prospects past— especially on the offensive side of it, every year it felt like we were always asking who's going to be that next third bat, who's going to be that next big bat. Once you got Goldschmidt Arenado, you were asking, okay, we got two, who's that next one? Tyler O'Neill. And then you went out and you went after Wilson Contreras, and he has contributed to that for you. But now for the first time, we don't feel like we're asking that question going into the offseason. Your offense is solidified. Some of that is because of Contreras. Some of that is because of what Gorman has done this year. But a lot of that is because you've got the superstar quality of a Jordan Walker. And frankly, for this team, it's good to have a young player who's already hitting that stride. Because last year, we were all a little concerned with Nolan Gorman, wondering like, okay, well, who is he really? Because it was inconsistent. Now we've gotten this where the first season of Jordan Walker, we've seen what the potential is. And that's rare for Cardinals fans to say that they've seen. So the other thing that I wanted to get to from the outfield over the weekend is my guy, Tyler O'Neill. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about Really? Boxes. He's your guy. You're confirming that. We're done, right? I thought we were done back in like June. He was officially placed on the injured list. This time it's a right foot sprain. Mm, tough. Now they had a plan for him. He returned on July 20th. He started 37 of the next 52 games. He has not started three straight games in a month because, again, they had a plan to try to keep him healthy. In that stretch of games where they tried to keep him healthy, he hit 235 with an OPS of 775. Had a little bit more power than what he had previously, but overall it was pretty much the same Tyler O'Neill that we've seen previously. Can we just agree that that was the it? We don't need to see Tyler O'Neill in a Cardinals uniform ever again. Nope. And this is not to suggest that the guy has zero use. I could totally see him next year having a Cody Bellinger type of season for somebody. Would not surprise me at all. And I don't care. I don't. I, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. The Tyler O'Neill experience for me is over. I wish him nothing but the best moving forward. I hope he is healthy and happy and has a career resurrection elsewhere. But the relationship between the Cardinals and Tyler O'Neill, whether that's via non-tender, which I would be totally fine with, or... If it's via trade, 
this should be we should not see Tyler O'Neill take the field in a Cardinals uniform again after this injured list. I think I saw Ben Fred put it out when the announcement was made death taxes and Tyler O'Neill to the IL and he said you have to be done with this and you do you cannot come back next season with the statement we've got Tyler O'Neill as an option with our outfield and if you're John Mosaic you're you're doing your team a disservice because you're you're keeping that name there and saying oh well what if we get this again who cares I, I mean Go into the season with more certainty. You're, you're, and Tyler O'Neill is the definition of uncertainty. I would much rather have Brendan Donovan as an everyday outfielder 100%. than Tyler O'Neill. I would much rather have Richie Palacios playing that position than I would Tyler O'Neill. Tommy Edmond in center and Lars Newbar in left. Like there are just so many other configurations that make you a better baseball team on a consistent basis than continuing to trot Tyler O'Neill out there. Get rid of some of those, well, we got to get him in moments for Ali Marmol. Get rid of some of these players that you wonder, how are we going to get him playing time if he's healthy? Who cares? Get your starting nine, get a couple of guys who can get playing time, and that's it. I don't want to hear the argument or the excuse of, well, we couldn't find the right trade that matched his, his value. There is no value. Yep. Your, your value is unavailable. And so if you're going to non-tender it, fine. If somebody wants to take a chance on that, great. Get whatever you can in return so that you can eliminate those question marks for next season. I know people are going to balk at the idea of non-tendering him, and the Cardinals probably will, frankly, balk at that idea. But he's making $5 million this year. If you go into a next year and arbitration year three he's probably going to make like seven and a half guys i just wouldn't do it i would rather give seven and a half to a bullpen arm yeah and i don't know that you're going to be able to find a suitor for him i i think you should be able to like you could probably trade him to somebody but now that's going to have to be something else that's put onto on your to-do list and this is a team that despite what we heard earlier in the season from michael gersh where he told you alex hey it's not a long checklist it's just all we got to do is find pitching pitching and pitching well, if you add Tyler O'Neill to that checklist, it does become a little bit more difficult. They can walk and chew gum at the same time. They are a competent organization despite all of the frustrations of this season. I just, I mean, if Kyle Schwarber can be non-tendered, if Cody Bellinger can be non-tendered, then you bet your ass Tyler O'Neill can, man. This is his games played, Alex, outside of 2021 in his Cardinals career. 61, 60, 50, 96, 72. He just doesn't play. He's the best baseball player who never plays baseball. And then in 2021, he played 138 games. It all came together. He was healthy. He was a legit MVP candidate. Here's the production, by the way. 2021, an OPS plus of 148. Every other season of his Cardinals career. 115, 90, 70, 100, and this year, 95. He's an average hitter whenever he is on the baseball field outside of 2021. So you're bringing him back for $7.5 million to be an average hitter, to miss half of the season, and to decide himself when he plays and if he feels healthy enough to play? Nah, man. Give me dudes that I can go out there on the field with every single day that I can trust to be a part of this winning culture here in St. Louis. I wish Tyler O'Neill nothing but the best, but I hope that we have seen the last of him here in St. Louis. Someone texted and asked the question from the 618, is the same true for, for Dylan Carlson? I don't think it's the same situation, but I can hear the argument that it is. Like I, The Cardinals are going to keep one of these two guys. Yeah, I, I don't think it's the same at all because we've seen it for five years with yeah, Tyler And Dylan O'Neill. Carlson, yeah. I, I still... It's been two weird years, and you can specifically tie it up to like, Weird injury luck. And if it happens again next year, that's where I'd be. Then it it. starts becoming the same Tyler O'Neill conversation. And Carlson's played through his injuries. He played through this ankle injury since since Boston. He just lost his job and he just hasn't performed even when he was healthy to Tyler O'Neill. He's not like Tyler O'Neill because A, Tyler O'Neill doesn't perform and B, Tyler O'Neill decides when he plays. If he's not feeling it, he's not. If he's not feeling it, he's not playing. 
Exactly. Look at the Tampa, yeah, the Tampa Bay game. Perfect example. So I think it's two different scenarios, but I totally agree with you guys. I think you trade him for either just a shot in the dark reliever, hopeful prospect that's like in triple A, double A, kind of like the return you got for Paul DeYoung. That should be what your goal is, where you got a potential reliever that's at the double A level, or you just non tender him. There's no need to go through this and you already have a log jam right now in your outfield that's with Carlson. I would non tender him. I know it's going to be seen as like there will probably be some surprise around Major League Baseball, especially among reporters of saying like, oh, Tyler O'Neill got non-tendered. That's surprising. No, it shouldn't be. It it won't be here in St. Louis if it ends up happening. That that would be my personal route that I would go. Um, Alex, if you had to guess, more likely to be non-tendered this offseason, Dakota Hudson or Tyler O'Neill? Tyler O'Neill. Dakota Hudson, I can absolutely see the Cardinals say we've got something for him. Maybe not a rotation piece anymore, but definitely a swingman in the bullpen or starter in the in the minors that you call up. Tyler O'Neill, there's just no spot for him. Richie Palacios might have Wally pipped Tyler O'Neill. I would actually say Hudson because I think the Cardinals could say we could still get something for Tyler O'Neill. I, I think it's more likely they they non tender Dakota Hudson as well. He's making two and a half this year. He'll probably get three and a half next year. Probably similar to the Chris Stratton deal that they yeah. ended up making last offseason. Um, and I could see them saying, eh, instead of going three and a half for Dakota Hudson, let's just get some like bullpen arm, bounce back bullpen arm that, that we can go our next. Hell, maybe it is literally Chris Stratton. Oh, but yeah. let's go bring Chris Stratton back as a fifth, sixth inning matchup guy for us. I could see them going that route. But I. I could make the case that both should be non-tendered. And there's your $10 million that you go get a good bullpen arm with, that you're just eliminating that money with that. from the books going into next season. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, we will be uh, hopefully joined by Miles Michaelis. A slight audible over coming up at 1215. So stay tuned for that. We'll give you our football pick'em uh challenge results coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But let's start with this from the 314. Guys, with the SCC down this year. Who do you see as the college football national champion? Do you have a specific team that you think has looked the best so far in the college football season? I don't know if there's a team that's looked like a champion in my eyes, but my mind would be Michigan. I think out of all of them, they've looked probably the most dominant, Uh, but I think it's wide open, which frankly, I'm kind of excited about that. You actually don't have a clear cut Georgia team. That's going to run away with it. So I, I'm going to say this team, and I need to see them play a real contender before I really buy in. A couple of weeks from now, we'll see them play against Oregon, a top 10-ranked opponent. Why not Washington? That's who I was going to say. Washington's been the most impressive team that I've seen so far this year. They beat Boise State 56-19, Tulsa 43-10, Michigan State this past weekend 41-7. Michael Penix Jr. has thrown for at least 400 yards in all three of his games so far this season. He is so far the Heisman favorite in my mind, and they have been so far the singular most impressive team on the field. I would go Washington as the team that I've been most impressed by with the on-field performance thus far. 
It doesn't mean they're going to win it. I think there's like 12 teams that can actually win the national championship this season, which is a lot compared to normal. But I'll go with them. That would be my team. I'm with you. I think Washington's been the most impressive. They they look kind of like the Miami Dolphins. Me, left-handed quarterback that's just slinging it. He's got a ton of weapons at wide receiver. I would have said Michigan going into this weekend. But they kind of laid an egg in that first half against Bowling Green. Uh, what's his name? J.J. McCarthy? Is McCarthy, that right? Yeah. J.J. Yeah. McCarthy, he threw, I think, two turnovers in that first half, three turnovers in that first half, just interceptions. Did not look like the same football player that we'd seen early on. Now, maybe it was just because he's thinking, taking shots. It's Bowling Green. Who really cares? But Bowling Green was in that game in the first half, and it was a little alarming to me. So I would say probably Washington, and I would throw Texas into the conversation. I know they had a slow start against Wyoming. I think that was just kind of a letdown first half coming off the Alabama game. Quinn Ewers looks legit, and I and they took care of business down the stretch. Yeah, and I and I trust Quinn Ewers at quarterback, and that's what's most important to me when in the college football playoff scheme. Three one four three nine 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 six four six from the six one eight guys. Do you think that the Titans could legitimately win the AFC South after this slow start by the Jacksonville Jaguars? I don't think they can because I just don't think they're that good of a team, but. I'm also starting to come to the the realization that the Jaguars might not be that great of a team. I think the Jaguars will, the cream will rise to the top in that situation and they'll be the clear cut team. But frankly, I think the Colts looked better with Richardson than the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, I'm not going to buy that. I, I think Jacksonville's still going to win this, this division. I think they're still going to win it easily. I think it's just the first handful of weeks. It's going to take a little bit, knocking some rust off, getting things figured out. Jacksonville's by far the best team in this division. I think they're going to win it by quite a few games. I agree. I think they will be clearly the best team in the AFC, but we warned about this going into the season. Do not count out Tennessee from winning 10 games. They have one of the best coaches in the NFL. He gets the most out of his talent. You know they're going to have a good defense because Mike Brable is there, and they have a competent offense. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, for all of his faults, is fine. He is the definition of fine. And if you have Derrick Henry in that backfield and Burks and Hopkins as wide receivers, you've got a chance, man. In any individual game, you can go out there and give yourself a chance. We saw that over the weekend against the Chargers. They played just well enough, and I mean just well enough, to be able to beat what has been one of the most disappointing teams so far in the NFL with the L.A. Chargers. Next week's a big test for them. On the road at Cleveland, that's a game that I expect Tennessee to lose. If they are able to find a way to win that one, maybe they'll open some eyes, including my own. That offensive line sucks. Terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I feel, I feel bad for Tannehill. It's like every time he drops back, he knows he's going down. Three one four three nine 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 six four six from the six three six guys. If Luther Burden continues putting up hundred yard games and Mizzou wins nine or ten games this season, is there any chance that he ends up as a Heisman finalist? I don't mean this is not. I promise you, this is not me being negative. I said over the weekend, the dude is Jeremy Macklin two but no, there's not. Yeah. It's so incredibly difficult for a wide receiver in any season to become a Heisman finalist in this season where there are so many quarterback uh, quarterbacks playing at such a high level, especially on the West Coast. It's going to be nearly impossible for Burden to be a Heisman finalist, barring something unforeseen where they go like 12 and 0 and he has 25 touchdowns this year. That would be the one way where you could see something like that. Yeah. But it, it would take a ton. Anytime a wide receiver wins it, you always look at the quarterback that's playing with him. It's, like you said, rare to win that one. Yeah, I, I can't see it, and I think he's been great so far. But you need kind of two things going for you if you're going to be a wide receiver to win it. One, you just got to put up incredible numbers on offense. Two, you also got to be involved in the kicking game. And he didn't return any kicks this week against Kansas State. And you have to do that if you're going to be a wide receiver that wins it. That's the way you got to do it. You got to score on offense and on special teams. Yeah. Or, or you have to be Devontae Smith. 
Yeah. Well, and that yeah. means that you put up numbers unlike anything we've seen before. Like it's it those are the opportunities for you is you got to be one of the most dynamic putt returners in college football along with being a stud wide receiver or you put up an all-time wide receiver season that the likes of which we almost never see. Uh 3143999646 is the air comfort service text line another Mizzou question from the 314. Guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your level of concern about this game against Memphis? 10 being the highest. I'll go 6. I'm not overly concerned, but I could see where we talked about where it just becomes a letdown game. They find a way to get through it, but they should win this football. If you can beat Kansas State at home, you can beat the Memphis Tigers at the Dome. That's my current level. Put it at a 6? Yeah, 6. I would like it a 3. Oh, wow. I think when you play in St. Louis and you're this team coming off of that win, you're going to be hyped up for this. That's my fear is a letdown emotionally because they they had the you got to remember this wasn't just about beating a top 15 program it was also about beating the team that embarrassed them a year ago they had that stench in their mouth of man last time that we played these guys we had three different quarterbacks that took a snap against them and it was embarrassing for all of those quarterbacks the offense looked completely broken and the defense had Outside of games against Tennessee, the worst game we've seen from a Missouri defense over the last three years was against K-State last year. So you had all of that as the backdrop, along with all of the hype going into this game and so many people, including us here on this very show, counting them out, shutting everybody up. That is a big time motivator. Now everybody's doing what we're doing. Hey, Mizzou, SEC East is a little down. Maybe they could do a little... You got to guard against reading your own press clippings. I think this is what happened to Colorado over the weekend. I think they read their own press clippings. They saw The Rock out on the sidelines for him. They saw all those different celebrities that were there. NBA players. You had Chauncey Billups and Kyle Lowry at the game. Like, this was a different kind of game for Colorado. And you could see it It got in their heads a little bit. I do wonder if there's going to be some of that for Mizzou. I hope they're able to put guard against that. But that is that is what's giving me a little bit of pause and why I'm at about a six in terms of my level of concern for Mizzou versus Memphis. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're hoping to be joined by Miles Michaelis, the Cardinals starting pitcher. So we'll be joined by him coming up at 1215. But next, speaking of that Mizzou game, two of us picked against the Tigers this weekend in the Pick'em. We'll get to the results in full from our Pick'em challenge and give you the updated standings coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, I'm BK. If you missed it, we do our football pick them every single Friday. We are two weeks into this thing so far, and the way that we're doing it this year is a little bit different. We're going to have three games apiece. They could be the same games. They can be different games, but it's Saturday and Sunday, so college football or NFL. It's all against the spread, and we give three games on a confidence level. Of course, one to three, three being the most, one being the fewest. And at the end of the month, whoever has the fewest points from those confidence picks in each weekend will end up getting punished. So this past weekend, we have our results in. T-Bone, we're going to start with your first pick from the weekend, your two-point game. Duke's just not a basketball school, ladies and gentlemen. They have a football program now. Give me Duke at home, minus 18.5 points. They're taking on Northwestern. That team's awful. Uh, So I like Duke covering 18.5 points. I know I'm going three favorites again. Hey, didn't do too bad last week. I'm going to stick with that model. No thinking on this one. That's just natural ability. (laughs) 
<laughs> there it is. Over defender and goes 15 yards for the score. Imagine picking Duke. Imagine caring about a Duke versus Northwestern game. You could have fooled us that Duke has a football program. We couldn't find it on television anywhere. All right, congratulations, T-Bone. Two points for you, my man. Good pick there. All right, let's get to my first pick of the week. This was my most confident selection. Mississippi State plus the 10. I think that Mississippi State has a real chance to upset LSU this weekend. It is in Starkville. I'm going to take Mississippi State. Plus the 10 points at home against LSU. Oh, oh, God. Here's Daniels on fourth down. Going to launch it to the end zone. Neighbors holds it in again. Malik Neighbors. My, oh, my. How about Jaden Daniels and this Tigers offense roaring? I'm not going to lie. About a quarter in, I I realized I made a mistake. Literally picked (laughs) against the duty one offensive player of the week in the SEC. 30 for 34 for 360 yards through the air. 15 carries for 64 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Not a great week for my Mississippi State Bulldogs defense. I could hear you sobbing in my basement watching that game. They were down 24 to 7 at the end of the first half, and I knew immediately, oh, God, I have made a mistake. So my (laughs) three-point game did not go as expected. Alex, however... Had some real confidence in his two-point pick. Let's get to it. So I think I'm going to lean more towards San Francisco minus seven. That's going to be my number two pick here. I don't know how they would lose less than that to that team. Pick for Maher is on the way, and that'll be the final play of the game. So the Rams put three on the board. Bad beat. But San Francisco yeah. wins by oh, seven. Man. That color commentator had a parlay of the Niners with a seven-point spread. Mark Sanchez what the hell was BS. he doing? Yeah. That's that boy, Sean, Sean McVay. Sean by the way, if you weren't watching the game, they're down by 10 points. They've got this final drive. They get the ball with about a minute and a half to go. They know they're not going to be able to come back in this one. They kick a field goal from the San Francisco 20-yard yeah. line with one second to play. It goes in, obviously. They end up losing by seven points. I don't know who that helped other than anybody who had the Rams plus the seven points. And it crushed anybody like Alex, who had San Francisco minus seven. Let me take you inside the headphones of Sean McVay on the sideline. Hey, Sean, the spread's minus seven. We're down by ten. Just kick the field goal right now so we could piss a lot of people off today. Sean, good team's cover. So Alex does not get that point. Such BS. (laughs) You got to cover. You can't tie it. You got to actually cover. I think I should get half points when you push. What was your level of confidence going into that final drive that you were going to win it? Because obviously, you know, I turned it off. (laughs) I I turned it off. I was watching it and I said, okay, well, they've got this now. Like it's going back to them. It's 90 seconds. There's no timeouts. Like, of course, this one's ending. And then Sean bleep and McVay like, yeah, we suck, but let's just kick a field goal. You've been burned twice by him. All right, let's get to me and T-Bone both had a very confident pick. T-Bone had this for three points. I had it for one. It's the same selection on Saturday morning. I want to believe in this Tigers team so badly. And if they beat Kansas State this weekend, dude, you will not hear anybody gloat more than I will. True. But first, you got to beat K-State. And I don't think they can do it. So I'm going to take K-State minus three Number and a half. three pick. That's the one I'm most confident in. Kansas State minus three and a half. They're going to beat the tar out of Mizzou. Play that fight song, Kansas State. That's going to be a wildcat dub, baby. Give me my three Do you hear my points. laughing in the background? Cook pumps, throws, burden. In and space. That's where you want him to get the football, and he takes it to the house. Alex, here's my question for you, because we obviously did not get those picks. I missed my one-point pick. T-Bone missed his three-point pick. I love that. I love that he just tried to, like, flaunt that on everybody and made it his most confident pick. 
Do I have to pick against Mizzou now every week? Yeah. Is that is that what yeah. has to happen? No, yeah. because the BKO is not tricked. That's so true. the BKO understands when you're trying to trick it. No, because he truly believed K-State was going to cover that. I did. Yeah. And now oh, he's well. going to be going thinking that it's not going to happen. That's not how the BKO works. That's a fair point. I, I, I did receive multiple texts this weekend saying, the only thing you have to do the rest of the way on your show, I don't care if you do anything else, you have to pick against Missouri every single weekend. Don't do it, man. That's how the Missouri Tigers start to lose. Yep. No, you're probably right, because I won't believe it, and yeah. then it'll be the reverse BKO that I don't want on myself. So I, I've never been happier to miss a pick and to be completely oh, wrong yeah. about the way that a game was going to go. Because you made it your one-point pick. M- meanwhile, T-Bone over here is like, man, it's my most confident pick. Speaking of confidence, Colorado, a little bit of sauce from the two of you oh. on them against Colorado. State. All the uh, ish talk that's happening right now with Colorado at Colorado State, I'm going to say Colorado minus 23 and a half. That's my number one pick in this one. I wasn't convinced on taking this game until Jay Norvell opened his damn mouth. And now he's going to get his ass handed yeah. to him. So Woo. I like Colorado so minus the confident. points of 23 and a half as my number two pick. Into the end zone in a crowd. No good. Picked off by Woods and it's over. Buffaloes win it. Do you believe now? believe now they had to get double overtime against Colorado State a team that they were favored by 24 points again what the hell are rushing the football field for what do you mean man it was a big win against Colorado State it's an in-town rivalry by the way he made that his two-point pick yeah he had it at his one that was my one point no you said it at the end it was his two no listen to it no, that was my one. Listen I to the end of it. I, I, we we made sure to clarify at the end. I'm pretty sure yeah, I actually he followed said it up wrong. by asking, "Was that your two point pick?" He it was, said it. Was it. No, I, I know. I I clarified at the end of our discussion yeah. there. We we got it all wrapped up. I promise. Yeah. So that's why I was confused on Friday as well because T Bone did miss. I call BS in that one. He had Duke as his two point game going into the I weekend. I call BS. All right. I had a sweat last night as I was watching that NFL game. Here's what it sounded like. So I'm going to take the Dolphins. I think what we saw in week one is real. In week 10, maybe this is a different Miami Dolphins team, and it's kind of similar to what we've seen in the past. And then teams start to catch up to them. I think it's going to take more time than this. Give me Miami minus the three. Here comes Chubb. Jones throws. It's caught. The safety. Flips it back. It's brought in by Strange, the offensive line. Pushing to the 29. Does he get it? What's the spot? First down. Did anybody have a more fun weekend than, than uh, <laughs> what was happening? Can we just hear the last like five seconds of that again? Uh, well, if you only heard this sound, what would you assume was uh, taking place in uh, Collinsworth's uh, life? Uh, <laughs> strange, the offensive line pushing to the 29. Does he get it? What's the spot? First down. I hope his walls are thick in his house. <laughs> Yikes. So if you missed the game last <laughs> night, <laughs> fourth and four at the Miami 33 yard line, the uh, New England Patriots at the time were down by seven points. So you can't kick the field goal there. There's a minute left in the game. They end up throwing a pass to their tight end. The tight end immediately is tackled prior to the sticks is looking around uh, Gasecki. That's who it was. He's looking around trying to find somebody to lateral it to. He finds Cole Strange, their offensive guard, laterals it back to him, and Cole Strange just turns into the greatest. He turns into Larry Zonka out there, just carrying like seven players on his legs, extends the football, tries so hard to get to the first down marker, and very clearly, I believe, 
was ruled short. Oh, yeah. Who cares? It was awesome. But how about stay on your feet for like another inch, my man? You had it. Turnover on downs. Miami takes over. They win by seven. It was a three-point line, and all is well and good in the world of BK. That was my two-point selection. Alex, you ended up having another selection of your own that ended up going your way. This was your three-point pick. I'm going to take an underdog in this one. It's basically a pick I'm I'm taking Green Bay on the road in Atlanta, plus one and a half. I... I like I was, the other side of that. I like oh, the Falcons. Win. You see what it. happened at the end of that game? Sean McVay, don't kick the bleeping field goal. Who cares? By the way, an article just came out that said Sean McVay kicking that late field goal is everything wrong with the NFL and sports gambling. I freaking agree. Well, this is why I always get on Tanner's to act like he knows what's going to happen on weekend games. Like, none of us know what the hell is going to happen. That one I was very stressed about, though. The final results out of six potential points, one, two, and three-point games, I got two, T-Bone got two, Alex got three. Our updated standings on the season. T-Bone is at seven. Six. I am at five. Alex Ferrario is at five. We have two weeks remaining. In this current pool of games that we are picking, two more weeks, and then whoever has the fewest points at that point in time, it's going to be T-Bone, will end up being punished by wearing the pregnancy simulator, Alex, and having 12 different settings that will simulate at the end of every segment for one show what it feels like to be a woman going through labor with all of the different contractions. Hey, I read the instruction manual on that the other night, yeah. and uh, it says that you don't need more than five. Okay. So. Oh, wait, what? Six through 12 is going to be a... Uh, <laughs> wait, is that true? Yeah. <laughs> it said the power is that you typically don't need it to go past five. I'm like, cool, we're going to 12. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. It's got 20. I don't know why there's 20 on there. <laughs> Don't go past 12, or don't go past don't 5. Go past 5. 17 will probably get you there if you Person really need at home. to. Coming Ooh. up next, Miles Michaelis joins the show here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Cardinal starting pitcher Miles Michaelis joining us here on the show. He's participating in the All Win campaign. He's connected with Big League Impact for that. He's going to donate to the Crisis Aid U.S. Safe Program, which provides a women's shelter here in St. Louis. We'll ask him about that coming up here in just a minute. But Miles, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Happy to have you. So let's start with the obvious, man. We saw you in your start over the weekend. The facial hair was was gone. What went into the decision? Obviously, the hard-hitting questions here on the show. <laughs> oh, you know, um, you know I, I, I could get pretty deep into it, but, you know, sometimes you, to, sometimes you just need a little bit of a change. You know, I got, uh, got tired of looking at my, my face in the mirror. I needed a, a new face. M- Miles, so I... I I, I thought that would help. I, I got to tell you, Miles, like your mustache is the reason that I've tried to convince my <laughs> wife that I can use a mustache. Now, she doesn't think it looks good on me like it looks good on you, but mustache to full goatee to know which one do you prefer most? Tell me it's the mustache. 
Um, during the baseball season, I like the mustache. Uh, but during most of the off season, I'm generally pretty clean shaven. Um, I, you know, it's still kind of hot in Florida and I'm on the water a lot. And I, I wear those face, those face masks, the, 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 the sun buff, not a face mask. I don't wear the face mask. <laughs> the sun buffer to keep the sun off my face. And if you have a beard, it gets really itchy under there. So being clean shaven is a little bit easier for me. Um, you know, on the wife and kids, scratchy, things like that. See, I'm in, I'm this in between miles because when I go the mustache, my wife tells me I look like Mario from Mario brothers. When I go the clean shave, she says I look like I'm from high school. But if I go the full beard, she says I look like a grizzly bear. I don't know where to go with this. Yeah. Sounds well, like you know, it's, problem. <laughs> if she tells you, she looks like you're back in high school, that means she's jealous. You know, I think women sometimes, they're jealous. They can't just like shave their face and look younger. You know, they don't have anything there. So, so it's tough. So maybe that's uh maybe that's a resentment there. Or that, something. that makes a lot of sense. Now I'm going to stay away from that, the clean shaved face. I, I got to tell you, since we're talking about this miles, I used to do pre and post for the Cardinals games. And I remember the, the daily segments when you would start, it would be Klaibs and miles, Michaelis styles with miles because it yeah. used to go through the entire wardrobe of miles, Michaelis, whether it was the cowboy hat and the bolo tie, you were the king of styles in that clubhouse. Do you remain King? Um, I believe so. Yes. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw, throw some, some punches at the younger generation. They just don't dress as nice. Like the, the style, whatever's in fashion, it's just different. It's not the classically nice necessarily. There's a lot of sneakers and things like that. And I just, it just doesn't do it for me. I mean, we're, we're big leaguers. We wear suits, ties. We look nice. I think that's. My, that's my stance on the whole thing. I'm with you there. You talked to Tanner when we came into the show. We tell Tanner all the time not to wear cargo shorts, Miles. It's just not in anymore. <laughs> Only if you're, like, taking the kids to Disney and you need all those pockets. Amen to that. Who's you the one that's pockets. coming for the throne, Miles? Like, if, if there was one person that is the biggest competitor to Miles Michaelis in fashion, it is who on the Cardinals? Um, man, um... You know, I think when when Mason Wynn came up, he had a he had a nice suit on that first road trip, a nice classic blue suit. It was nice to see, uh, you know, young guy come up, and he's also got some some swag with with some other stuff. He does have some cool sneakers. Uh, he's got the cool haircut. Uh, you know, I think he could be, you know, that like nice young, well dressed, flashy, you know, kind of great great ball player, great guy. Is he going for the Mahomes with his haircut? Is that is that the kind of style <laughs> that he's got going on right now? I don't know. Did, um, I don't watch football. Does Patrick Mahomes have that haircut? P- pretty much, yeah. You don't watch okay. any football, Miles? No, no college football or NFL? You're out? No, I have uh, I have four kids and a hobby. So, <laughs> you know, what do I watch football for? I watch, uh, I watch 162 baseball games. That's a lot of sports. I get home. I fish a little. I golf a little bit. I have four kids. I don't know. Uh, I'm outside. I'm working with my hands. I'm working out. I don't sit around and watch TV. Spot on with that one. So I have two kids, Miles, and I got to ask because you guys with four of them, my wife is starting to get baby fever again, and she's talking about number three. Does life get even more difficult when there's more than two? I mean, as soon as you're as soon as you're outnumbered, it's tough. Uh, and then you've got an odd number of of kids. I like the even numbers. My wife and I, you know, everyone, and we got lucky. Two boys, two girls. So everyone's got a everyone's got a buddy, but. As soon as that third kid comes in, it's just, and we went from one to three. Yeah. So 
we didn't have like the, oh, here's two and then let's add another one. We went from, you know, two on one to outnumbered. And it's just, you just don't have enough hands. It's tough. If your oldest one is old enough to help just a little, that makes a big difference. So m- what I'm understanding is once three hits, then my wife's going to be like, let's have four. So it's even up to everybody. Oh, geez. Hey, you're yeah. screwed, man. We're sticking with two for a while. <laughs> Miles Michaelis is our guest here on 101 ESPN, the Cardinals starting pitcher. Uh, Miles, you mentioned you got a big hobby. You're a big f- fisherman. So we got to ask you, if you yeah. could go on a deep sea fishing expedition and you can choose any three others, so basically a foursome, but pitching wise, or excuse me, okay. but, but fishing, dead or alive, who are you taking out on a deep sea fishing expedition with you? Ooh, dead or alive. Um, you know, I got to take my fishing buddy from back home. Um, I got to take his name's uh, RJ Alvarez. I got to take my buddy, you know, because you got a fishing buddy. You just can't leave him out, you know. Truth. Try through. The guy catches fish. He knows what he's doing. Um, and then probably Ernest Hemingway. Oh, okay. You know, famous fisherman, old man in the sea. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, maybe Jordan. I know the guy's competitive. He's got a real nice boat down there in Jupiter. I see it a lot out there on the water. Um, he's a competitive guy, loves to fish, loves to win. If we're fishing a tournament, I need that competitiveness. Have you done those fishing tournaments before miles? Like how long do those fishing excursions go for? Uh, I mean, all those tournaments, you know, there might be a couple days, but it's like a day at a time. You know, you gotcha. go out in the morning back in the afternoon it might be like a weekend kind of event i haven't done any yet um there's a lot of them in the winter down here with the sailfish tournaments and there's a lot in the summer um down in jupiter there i'm just not home for a lot of them and then in the winter all of my you know all of my quality time is spent um you know with the family i go fishing like during the week when the kids are at school so on the weekends i i really just take that you know that family role and uh you know, I don't get to see him a lot as much during the season because I'm so busy. So when I get home in the off season, I'm, you know, family first and hobbies when I can. Nice. Miles, when you when you are out there doing a hobby, not not your professional side of things with baseball, are you more competitive, get more frustrated whenever things go wrong for you fishing or on the golf course? Oh, golf course, golf course, <laughs> golf course frustrates me. I think because I think what what baseball players do is you convince yourself that because you play a sport with a stick and a ball that you should automatically be good at this one. <laughs> and then you're not. And it just seems so, so counterintuitive. Like this ball is not even moving. I still can't hit it straight. I don't understand. <laughs> like, and it, it's just, it can be very frustrating fishing, you know, fish get big by pulling the hook. You know, that's how big fish get big. If I'm making silly mistakes, like if I'm, you know, nodding up my lines or, you know, if I miss a gap shot or something like that, you know, there's silly mistakes you can get upset about, but you know, you're fishing, you're, you know, that's a, that's a wild animal. You have no control over. That's tough. Miles over under how many clubs you have broken in your time golfing, because if you're competitive, like I am every time a bad shot happens, you know, you want to just crack that club over your knees. I'd say about half a dozen. Okay, really? my man. There's there's been a point, Miles, that I've wanted to chuck a golf bag into the water for how frustrating that gets. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I I always I don't understand how this is fun for people, but yet I always find myself hey, go going back. back out there. I'm I'm big into like you know maybe I like have a really bad like three putt or four putt and there's like a pond next to it. I'll just hit that ball right into the water. I don't want it. It's a bad ball. Give me a new one. 
you know, yep. ask the ump for a new ball there. This yep. one's no good. I need another one. Miles, you and I need to get into a golf cart together because I think we'd get along well on a golf course. This seems poorly for everybody involved. That's what happens there. Uh, Miles Michaelis is our always looking for golf buddies here in St. Louis. I'm all to over it. that because I, I can't find other people to play with because I get so frustrated and competitive. <laughs> so I need to find somebody who's willing to go play with me. I, I will say as yeah. a disclaimer here, Miles, he also brings P- Pink Whitney on the, oh, the yeah. golf course with him as little shooters as he's going throughout. So be prepared. <laughs> That that chuckle's not good for me, but I'm getting closer to it. That's all right. (laughs) All right, Miles Michaelis, our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Miles, we do have to ask you a little bit about baseball while while you're on with us. I I do want to ask you, you know, you're you're top five in the National League in innings pitched this season, and you're up above 180. It it, it feels as if, like, the 200-inning pitcher outside of you and just a couple other guys out there is almost extinct. Ten years from now, Miles, are, are we going to have pitchers going 200 innings? I I really hope so. Um, I really do. I think that's I think that's part of it, and I think I think that's part of baseball. And if you don't have guys going that many innings, I feel like you're you're going to have to see more rule changes, like more players on the roster, more bullpen guys, and you know. I think it would be neat to even have rules where, like, let, you know, you have to leave your pitcher in for five or six innings. Because, I mean, if a guy doesn't have it that day and the league wants offense, I tell you, you're going to get it. You know, your starter has to throw five innings. Maybe he has to throw a certain number of pitches uh, would be fun. Um, you know, but, but no, I think – I think you you got to have starters going deep into the game. That's that's part of the game. That that's part of the fun. Like baseball's fun. I want to be out there as long as possible, right? I, I just I look down to the minors, Miles, and there's one minor league pitcher that has thrown 150 innings this season. Like in in any level combined with what they have done, do you, is there going to have to be something that is done in terms of the development as well the, of guys just throwing deeper into games in the minor leagues? I, I I don't. I don't know where this is heading, and it does kind of concern me a bit. There's there's a lot of weird things to take into factor, right? So guys are going shorter because maybe they're getting tired, but guys are throwing harder. They're trying to throw hard, so they're a little more tired, so they don't throw as much. But then they get in a good game, and they, they're out there longer, and then maybe that's the injury risk. But if, if you don't build up, if you don't build up an arm, especially in the minor leagues, you know, how, how is that arm going to get through a major league season? So, like, do you tell guys that we want you to be able to throw more pitches and be healthy? So, you know, maybe train to throw hard, but then don't throw everything as hard. But then if you start getting hit and you're not throwing as hard as you can, you're like, well, I should give every throw my best. So it's just like it's just really tough. Like, you know, they're, they're limiting innings, but guys are still getting hurt. So, you know, that's – that's not working. The pitch counts and the pitch limits and the innings limits, those aren't necessarily working. So I think there's, there's some, some new ground that needs to be found. Well, Wayno made a career of pitching like that, Miles. And, of course, you're in such a, a unique situation. Last year you had the final season of Yachty and Pujols uh, to see it through. But this one's got to be even more unique, right, being able to be with Wayno in his final season. Have you been picking his brain a lot throughout the year? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm picking his brain, uh, you know, since I got here in, in 2018. Um, he's such a, you know, a, a treasure trove of, of baseball knowledge and, you know, life wisdom. You know, he's 
you know, he is a little bit older than most other guys and he's got a lot of kids and he's, he's been in the league so long. He's been a lot of places, met a lot of people. Um, I like picking his brain for just his stories, his playoff stories, the world series stories, people he's golf with. Um, I mean, just he's, he's, you know, he's, he's entertainment nonstop and he's a great guy. Does it feel like Miles for you that with this being his final year that that this is kind of handed to you now of uh, your team being the the most tenured pitcher in the rotation? Oh, I would I would never think of it as as my team. Um, you know, being being an older guy, um, you know, that's fun for me. That's a role I've been you know trying to assume, and obviously with Wayno gone, it'll kind of be on me and Matt and you know whoever else we sign. Um, you know, might be an older guy, so so that'll help. Um, but you know, a little bit. Um, but it's it, it's a scary thought being the oldest guy. Guy, <laughs> and now I'm the oldest guy. Um, but I'm also really proud of that. You know, it, it it says a lot to you know hard work and 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 staying healthy and a lot of other things. Miles, we'll get you out of here on this. We're having you on today in participation with Big League Impact. Wayno does a great job with that. He joins the morning show each and every Wednesday to be able to discuss what he's doing with Big League Impact. And you've participated with the all-win campaign this season. You're donating to the Crisis and U.S. Safe Program, which provides a women's shelter here in St. Louis. Tell us a little bit about why you partnered with them and what led to this partnership between you and the all-win campaign with Big League Impact. Uh, yeah, at the time, you know, when you, when you sign with the Cardinals, one of the first things Bueno would do, you know, congratulations, welcome to the Cardinals. What are you passionate about? I have big league impact. I can help you make a difference. And like, I was like, this is great. That's great. And I said, I want to make a difference, you know, in St. Louis, you know, in the, in the place I'm playing and, you know, for the fans that come here, that's what I want to do. So we got together with crisis aid and the women's shelter Um, you know, I have two daughters and you see, you know, two daughters and four kids. So you just, you see the news stories in general, like with the trafficking and all these, all these terrible things and, you know, women that need a place to go so they don't end up on the streets so they can, you know, get their feet back under them and, you know, do their best and have a good life after these, these tragic events and, you know, really, really hard times. And, this is just a great place that does a great job of that. Um, I think it's one of the top centers um, in the country, and it's 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 a big center here. It it has you know it takes people in from all this this Midwest kind of area, and you know women you know overall deserve the best. Um, you know men are here to to you know do their best to make a great world and and take care of women and everyone should be taking care of women there our daughters our mothers our grandmas i mean you know you think about a, a kid being trafficked you know that's that's a daughter or you know someone in a terrible situation well that's you know that's someone's mom and someone's grandma like these are you know these are the best people and you know who who better to help than you know the daughters and the you know the the, the mothers and the grand you know the future mothers and grandmas of you know our society it's a more than worthy cause. People Absolutely. can check it out. BigLeagueImpact.org slash Louis. If you go there, just go to BigLeagueImpact.org. It's super easy to find on that website. Almost $100,000 has already been raised this season via the All Win campaign just here in St. Louis. If you'd like to participate, you can donate over there right now. Again, BigLeagueImpact.org is the place where you can go to find it. Miles, appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Best of luck the rest of the way, and hopefully we'll 
catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. You got it. That's Miles Michael, his Cardinal starting pitcher, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate his time hopping on with us today. I know for some of you guys, you want to hear us like grill him on whatever has gone on with the Cardinal season this year. Listen, man, I just like it doesn't benefit anybody. Why do you want to hear somebody berate a player on the radio? I just like to get to know the guy. A little Absolutely. Better. He's a fun personality. I enjoy having him on. I thought that was great, man. I got, um, I got myself a new golfing partner who actually <laughs> likes to throw clubs into the water like I do. I also found his, his conversation there about the innings. Like if you just yeah. want to go to the baseball side Absolutely. of things for a minute. Um, T-Bone, I know this is something that you've been big on. He basically said, hey, I think the double hook rule is something that baseball should start to consider if this doesn't get corrected in the next few years. Because for those that aren't familiar, what the double hook rule is would be when you're, if your starting pitcher does not go at least five innings, you would then have to remove your designated hitter. It would go back to the old National League rules. If your starter does go beyond five innings, you get to keep it. No, no harm, no foul. You just need to keep that that DH. So it changes the way that these teams can operate, especially with the openers and guys that are going like four and a third. Like, for example, with uh, the game over the weekend for Aaron Nola, they would have had to keep him in to be able to keep their designated hitter in that game. So I, I do think it's something that baseball is going to have to look in, into if this keeps going in the current trajectory. Right now, I think we're OK. There's enough pitchers that are still going deep into ball games. But if it 10 years from now is as different between what it was between now and 2013, that's when they'll start to absolutely have to consider something like that. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's sad to say, but baseball is going to have to implement a rule because otherwise teams are going to continue down this path of more pitchers, more pitchers, more arms, more arms, and they're not going to require stars to go deep. I'd even go a step further, and I'd say you got to go six because I don't think five is good enough. I, I really don't. I, there's a reason they call quality starts six innings, three runs or fewer. I think if you don't go six innings – you can't have the DH afterwards. So I, I'm a huge advocate for the double hook rule. It's a shame that baseball is probably going to have to implement a rule just to get back to kind of get the way baseball was. And I think it's going to have to happen sooner rather than later. I don't think we're getting enough guys going deep into games. And I thought Miles' perspective on the minor league development was interesting because yeah. you think about it, modern science, you would think that the arm could be, there'd be a better understanding of the arm and how you could throw max effort while also going deep into games. And it's actually quite the opposite of that. We don't have a great understanding on the arm. We still throw max effort. In fact, it's leading to less innings. And in modern science, and you think back to like the 90s, those guys are drinking drinking before the game and smoking cigars, and yet they were covering 220 innings, 230 innings in a season, more than that. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe they were throwing through like a busted elbow half or the time. Or they just kept throwing fastballs. And we just we <laughs> didn't have the technology then to know what we know now when it comes to the injury side of things, and they just pitch through everything. Um, and you could take that or leave that. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. But uh, there is definitely something to be said for pitchers like Miles Michaelis. I know the results haven't been what certainly he would want or anybody else Cardinals fans uh, would want. He's got a 480 RA on the season, but the dude has given you 185 innings so far this year, and that is the second straight season that he's doing that. When he's been healthy, he's a guy that you can count on for 180 plus innings and giving you like a typically right around a four ERA. That's a nice starting pitcher to have in the middle of your rotation. You want the results to be better. Hopefully he gets a little better luck next season, and hopefully he's able to work on that slider that he talked about over the weekend to get more punch outs, but um, that that's where they're at right now. He's he's a really solid number three or four starter going into the 2024 campaign. Coming up next, speaking of their starting rotation going into next season, John Mozeliak made it very clear over the last couple of months. Three starters. Three starters is what they have to add. Is he already starting to walk that back? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're 
right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Okay, so we've been talking for the last couple of months about the John Mozeliak quota, and we're bringing in three starters, not one, not two, but three starters this offseason. He was asked about that quote on Friday out of the ballpark. Here's what John Denton wrote in his piece over at Cardinals.com. Quote, asked if he thinks the Cardinals still need to add three starters, John Mozeliak said, and I quote, I think the answer is likely Yes, I definitely feel like you need protection on the inning side. We are encouraged with what we're seeing with the guys here, but I think adding depth would be important, end quote. Again, that came from John Denton's story over at Cardinals.com. John Mosellock meeting with the media on Friday afternoon prior to game one of that series against the Phillies. Alex, put on your John Mosellock translator mode. Are they getting three starters this offseason or no? Nope. Their third starter is coming from within. And guess what, guys? Who could have seen it coming? When when he said depth is going to be a real focus and that they're impressed by some of the guys that they have in-house, that basically told you everything you needed to know. You're going to get your one and two from free agency or trade, and then the rest is all in-house. And that's the way that I would read that from John Mozeliak. And frankly, anytime you hear him say something different than what he said prior is exactly what you said. Back up the trucks. Beep, beep, beep. I actually read that a little bit differently. I I think they're getting two arms for sure, and they're going to be in your top four. I think that kind of insurance on innings or protections on the inning side is signing someone that is coming back from injury. And you go, well, how is that protection on the inning side? Because you start the year with Zach Thompson, and then say it's Tyler Malley. He'll, he'll be my place filler here. He's going to need more time to recover from, I think it was Tommy John that he had uh, this season. He's going to need a little bit more time to recover from that, but you sign him to a major league contract, and then when he is healthy, he inserts back into your rotation. Zach Thompson kind of goes back down as the six or goes to the bullpen as a long slash swing man. I think that's the route that they are going to go this offseason is by signing a Tyler Mallory or a Frankie Montas, someone that's recovering from injury that can be a starter when healthy, but until they get healthy and recover from injury, Zach Thompson's going to be the number five. It's kind of where I'm at as well. I think they're going to bring in a guy that might not be a part of your rotation on opening day of next year. Uh, I Tyler Malley has been the name that I've used as kind of the placeholder there, but it's just a placeholder. It doesn't have to be him. Frankie Montas could be another guy that you maybe put into that category. Maybe you sign a guy to a two-year, $25 million deal where they make $5 million next year and 20 the year after that. Something like that, right? Where it's pretty similar to what the Rays did with Tyler Glass now. He's essentially rehabbing for a few million bucks with your organization going into next season. I could totally see them doing something like that. Another guy that kind of fits into this type of criteria, somebody like uh, uh, Hyun Jin Ryu, who this season for the Toronto Blue Jays was hurt for the vast majority, but has been excellent since returning to the mound as a 2.6 ERA and nine starts for them since his return. He's 36 years old, so he's getting up there in age. But this is the type of guy that you could go out there and say, you know what? I don't know if what we're seeing is real. He doesn't have a ton of swing and miss stuff, but maybe you bring him in on a one year, $10 million contract and you see what it looks like. Maybe it works and he's your number five starter going into next season. Maybe he loses the job to 
um, like a Zach Thompson, and you end up putting him in your bullpen or something like that as a 37-year-old pitcher for you next year. I can see something in that regard. Kinta Maeda would be another guy that kind of fits into that criteria as well, that being the third best starter that they bring in. You still need somebody that's slot in at one and two, and I think the third guy that they bring in will either be competition for the five slot or somebody that by midseason will be competing for a slot in your rotation, probably in your top three. And, and that guy that you, that you just mentioned that could be brought in to compete for that five spot, it could be, and I don't have a name in my mind. I'm sure there's probably somebody out there, someone that's been kind of a bullpen slash starter arm that can come in and says, you know what, I'm tired of being a reliever. Like Seth Lugo did going to San Diego exactly. this past year, where he says, I don't want to be a reliever. I want a spot to start. And they say, okay, we'll bring you in. Can't fully guarantee it, but you're going to have a leg up in the competition over Zach Thompson. And if that guy doesn't work out as a starter, then you just put him in the bullpen and potentially have a high leverage arm. So I think that's kind of the route that they could go also. I wonder if Matt Moore is one of those guys. Like, Matt Moore has been an excellent reliever over the past few well, seasons. obviously not, because they could have claimed him on waivers, and they chose not to. I'm with you. I, I don't think he's going to be the guy, but another name that I've had on my list in the past is Sean Manaya. I, I could see maybe somebody like that being a maybe bullpen, maybe starter, and that's the kind of player that you sign to, like, basically replace Dakota Hudson on your roster. Yeah. I think he's a better pitcher than Dakota Hudson is. This year with the Giants, he's thrown 100 innings for them, has started eight games. Now he's mostly done so as like an opener type. He's not going super deep, but he's striking out 10 batters per nine innings again, and he's got an ERA that's like in the fours. I, I could see them signing somebody like that for five, seven million bucks, something in that range. That could totally make some sense for them. Oops. Alex, if that is the third best starter, though, I do think it means you've got to get two really good starters as the top two guys that you're adding to this rotation next year. I think it just puts more pressure on who are the top-end guys. And this was the report over the weekend from Derek Gould. Quote, Aaron Nola is scheduled to become a free agent after the World Series, and he fits the profile of an experienced pitcher that the Cardinals would like to add from the outside of the organization to lead their staff in 2024. The Cardinals, according to Derek Gould sources, intend to make an overture in order to attempt to sign Aaron Nola this offseason. Quote, they are aware of the auction that will develop for the right-hander. He has had the consistent 200-inning, 200-strikeout seasons that they covet, and he's had postseason success to boot, end quote. Alex, we've said it all along. Aaron Nola fits all of the criteria that the Cardinals typically look for in a big-time acquisition. Do you think he's going to be the leading candidate to be their acquisition this offseason to lead their rotation in 24? I think he will be if the Cardinals don't feel like they can win the Yamamoto sweepstakes because they've been reported to be in that. The problem is everyone else is in that. But, I mean, we're going logic here, and Yamamoto seems illogical for this Cardinals team. So, yeah, I think Nola's it. And, I get it. Like Nola has not looked like an ace in the last three to five starts. And frankly, it's, it feels like you're chasing your tail. But again, you've put yourself in this position and it's either him who's got 200 plus innings every single season and you yeah. know what you're getting or it's Blake Snell who could blow up like dynamite in a matter of seconds. Man, I, I'm worried about Nola. I've said all, all season that I think he is the guy. Capital T, capital G. His last nine starts now. He has a 5.7 ERA, and maybe more concerning, he's only given them 47 innings in those nine starts. He's gone less than five in each of his last three. He's gone less than six in seven of those nine. I just, if he's not giving you big-time innings, he's not the same pitcher that you were hoping to sign going into the offseason. So I, I think the rest of the way is super important 
for Aaron Nola, like not just for what they're doing in Philadelphia, but for his offseason, for his price point going into this this offseason, if this continues in this type of a trajectory, I would not feel comfortable giving him the hundred plus million dollars that it's going to take to sign him this offseason. And I like Aaron Nola. I used to be the high guy on him. Who else you get? Well, if he's going short, I, I would rather sign Sonny Gray yeah. than Aaron Nola. I just don't think that's a number one guy. I don't think Nola's uh, a number one guy. Uh, th- this version of Aaron Nola, the only thing about it, the only reason we view him as a number one still is because of his history. Like, that's it. It is nothing about what you're projecting forward or what he's done in 2023. It's about what he did two, three, four years ago. And I, I don't want to pay five years of term and 25 plus million dollars for what a guy used if to be. If Sonny Gray's the guy, then you better hope and be damn sure you're getting a really good other guy because Sonny Gray feels like the other guy that you should be getting. I, I and mean, I get it. Nola's concerning, but again, this but is the Sonny market Gray that's has out there. the second best ERA in the American League this year. Understandable, but I, I, I just don't feel like that's the overwhelming move that makes you a contender next season. I, I, I 100% agree with you. You got to get two of them. Like, if you get Sonny Gray, you also need to go out there and get a Yamamoto or an Imanaga. Like, you you have to get two guys that slot in in front of Miles Michaelis. But if this continues with Aaron Nola with the struggles, and we saw it firsthand against the Cardinals lineup, that wasn't the best version of the Cardinals lineup. Went four and a third, had all of five swing and misses against that lineup, one strikeout on the night. He looks like Miles Michaelis. And we're all frustrated with Miles this year with the results that he's seen. If that's what they're getting out of Aranola as well, well, you're just locking yourself into two guys that you don't want to be front-end starters. I mean, there's Philadelphia fans that don't want him starting for the team in the postseason. That That is happening right now. So I I am legitimately concerned at, uh, at this point about what Aranola could be for the Cardinals. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I'm curious how you would respond if this was sent to your house. Let's this all was a make story. the jokes. Alex would overreact. This was a story yeah. that was in the news up in Canada. I think this was a, uh, a, a Jamie Rivers purchase that ended up going uh, to a woman in northern Ontario. She said she had, quote, no idea what, why a box was delivered at her home containing... More than 1,000 condoms that were put at her doorstep. Quote, we received a box that contained 30 boxes of condoms that had 34 in each package. We had no idea why they were sent to us. (laughs) First of all, that is a very expensive practical joke. If this was a joke that was played on this wall. Are condoms that expensive? I mean, I would assume that a thousand of them probably run you up a pretty. I'm honestly asking. I couldn't tell you. We know, buddy, you're Catholic. You got some kids. We don't we don't use condoms. (laughs) Look it up on your work computer. (laughs) We don't use condoms. Let me look it up. What do you think is the price of a Trojan condom right now? Just one. Yeah. Can you (laughs) buy a box? I'm going to say five dollars. T-Bone? I would say three. Surely not five. So if you're getting a pack, we'll do a pack real quick. Oh, well, if it's pack, it's going to be Ten. more. Uh, pack of 36. 
twenty dollars. Oh. Yeah, that sounds about right. Twenty. Twenty-four bucks. Yeah. And how so, many were on this house? Seems like that seems like a waste of this money. Is probably like seven hundred and fifty dollars to make this kind of a practical joke. Yeah, that's that's so not worth it. Just buy a pizza and have it delivered to the house, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's an easier, it's an easier and practical joke, and it's cheaper. Alex, if you had this show up at your doorstep, what are you doing with it? I think we all have the same answer, right? Making water balloons out of it and throwing them at people? Oh, gosh, no, we do not have the same answer. I think we bring it into the office and throw it at people yeah, as they're leaving. I the think door. we get water balloons and we start throwing it at people. You, you go down to Olive and you just start throwing <laughs> it at people. Chucking condom water balloons at people. What's What better way to enjoy yourself? That's going to break through some of those windows as we are. Uh, worth absolutely. It. Worth it. Yeah. Or you could do that thing you know you do with the uh, doctor's gloves. You put it over your head, you blow it up, <sighs> blow it up with your nose. You do that. It doesn't fit over mine. Wow, we know, buddy. Magnums. Coming up next, Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for the said that in his life. here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we'll get to a game of in or out. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are in or out. You can do so on the Air Comfort Service X line at 314-399-9646. But right now, we're happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend, the Cardinals insider for The Athletic, Katie Wu, joining us here on the show as she does each and every Monday. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How was your weekend? Guys, it was good, but, you know, I'm a little sad this morning as I check my calendar. We are running out of Mondays in this regular season, and uh, I don't know the where best. the time has gone. Yeah. Maybe for the best, maybe. Say. Yeah, we, we will miss speaking to you every week. We will not miss recapping some of the weekends for well, the Cardinals. And let's be honest, Katie, I'm sure you could find better things to do than listening to us <laughs> talk for eight minutes, right? No way. You guys are the top-rated uh, midday radio show for a reason. Come on. Well, once upon a time. Nailed uh, it. Katie, I do want to ask you a little Nailed bit about the press conference that you guys had uh, with John Mozeliak on Friday prior to this series against the Phillies. Uh, he had a lot to say specifically about the coaching staff and then some of their offseason planning. What was the biggest thing that you took away from John Mozeliak's availability? Sure. You know, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and, of course, he led with the announcement that Ollie Marmel would return to manage the Cardinals in 2024, final year of his three-year contract he initially signed in 2021. That was not really a surprise. Uh, I know that maybe the text line and Twitter felt otherwise, <laughs> but the Cardinals were never really planning to make a managerial change. If St. Louis was, it would have happened in late May or early June when there was still a chance of salvaging the season. When the Cardinals went into July and had a set plan for what they were going to do at the trade deadline, it was very clear to me that Ollie Marmel was going to stay as the manager. And really, there was just no point in making a managerial change for next year. If the Cardinals want to compete and be a competitive team in 2024, they have to, at some point, add some free agents. And there's a lot of question marks surrounding St. Louis to begin with. Um, the, the last thing you want to do is throw in a, a manager change as well. So that was, I think, the biggest uh, newsworthy item that most said, but there was a lot of things that he hinted at underlying, of course, reiterating the Cardinals would be adding pitching both in the rotation and uh, in the bullpen, but also, you know, not committing to any kind of other changes for the coaching staff or player development. Uh, didn't say, you know, he was rather ambiguous on what that could look like. And I do understand that to an extent. A lot of times these things aren't 100% clarified 
for either side, both from the front office and the coaching side, until after the end of the year meetings that Mo usually runs uh, within the first week of the offseason. But I would think that changes are coming to the organization. And I think that instead of focusing on the major league staff, we should be focusing on player development and baseball operations in general. It's clear to me the Cardinals have problems on the major league side, obviously. But when you're looking at their organizational-wide issues, it starts with their player development. And I think you can make the argument, if you're the Cardinals, to add instead of subtract from the staff. So rather on focusing who could potentially be losing their jobs, I think St. Louis will roll into the offseason looking to add jobs, add resources, especially to their farm system. Uh, there's many, many things that the Cardinals have been exposed in, but I think pitching development and player development in the minor leagues has been a big focus for, for this season. How drastic of changes do you expect, Katie, on that player development side this offseason? Um, you know, I think it's a... I don't think it's something that can be changed in one offseason, right? You know, I don't want to come out there and say the Cardinals are going to completely revamp their entire organization and add three pitchers and become a playoff team again over the course of four months. I think we're setting our standards a little high there. But I do think this will be the beginning of incorporating a lot of changes to the system for the Cardinals in, in terms of adding more resources and being more modern. Um, when the Cardinals hired Jeff Albert, there was a lot of talk about revamping the minor league system so that both the major league system and the minor league system were on the same page in terms of offense. Now, Dusty Blake is regarded within the organization as one of the smartest pitching minds in the league, but do they have the resources in the minor leagues to back up what Dusty's trying to implement at the major league level? Doesn't look like it. I just think there's not enough resources and not enough staff to make that organization change. John Mazalock has gone out and talked about the need to add more swing and miss to the staff. Well, one way to do that, of course, is to go get a starting pitcher off the free agent market or trade for one. But those things come at a pretty high price. Another way to do it is to develop it, develop it internally. We're seeing a lot of teams, Atlanta comes to mind, the Dodgers, Tampa Bay, developing those kinds of pitchers. So I think the Cardinals could spend a lot of time focusing on revamping their player development system. And that's where I think most of the changes are going to come next season. You're going to start to see an implement of revamping and restructuring the player development side. We're talking to Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Katie, they are going to, though, have to go out to the market and add that pitching, at least for the immediate future. A lot of what you're talking about, they hope pays dividends in future seasons, you know, two, three, four, five years down the road. But for the immediacy, they, they, they've got to add serious talent to this rotation. And we saw Aaron Nola over the weekend, who is at least a potential target for the Cardinals. He went four and two-thirds innings, just one strikeout, only a few handful of swing and misses against the Cardinals. Uh, you've probably looked into the numbers as much as we have. He's had a really tough time down the stretch of this season. How do you view Aaron Nola as a potential offseason target for the Cardinals right now? I think the Cardinals have a higher chance of going after Aaron Nola than they do Blake Snell because I think the biggest question for Nola going forward is his durability. You know, obviously he hasn't had quite the September that the Phillies or Nola really wanted. But when you look at his underlying metrics, and I think the start against the Cardinals on Friday was an outlier, obviously not what Aaron Nola can do on any given night. I, I do think the Cardinals, Cardinals are going to be more inclined to take a chance on him. Again, durability is in question, but he's made you know at least 30 starts every year for the past four years, minus the 2020 COVID season. He eats a lot of innings. Uh, he doesn't walk a lot of guys. He has that swing and miss. And when you're looking at what the Cardinals 
really need in their staff. It's that top of the rotation arm they can count on to take the ball every five days. They feel like they have a durable, a durable option in Miles Michaelis, but of course, Miles has not had the season that anyone has wanted from him. Uh, and with Steven Matz being the only other assured starter, there's not a lot of durability there. So I think the Cardinals, above all, are looking for someone that they can count on to take the ball every five days. You look at the metrics for Aaron Nola, and you see what he can do, swing and miss, the fastball, the way that he pitches, I think would only be uh, would only improve given the pitching-friendly confines of Bush Stadium and the defense, which I know we've talked a lot about the defense being a far cry from what the Cardinals usually expect. But let's keep in mind the kind of players they're rolling out there in the second half aren't exactly what they envision fielding their major league club with. So I still think Nola is probably the prime target for the Cardinals. I think they're high on him. I think they'll make a play for him. Um, I'm not over concerned that the season has been a bit of a grind, a bit of inconsistency, uh, number-wise, ERA-wise. I do think the Cardinals are looking at the underlying metrics and still targeting him as their guy. Who do you think those two, three are then going to be, Katie, if the Cardinals are going down that path of three starting pitchers? We've talked a lot about, you know, guys like Sonny Gray and maybe not names, but do you see it more as the two and three are going to be established pitchers or maybe one or both of those two and threes are going to be guys who are looking to reinvent their careers? You know, I think we have an idea of what the Cardinals should do, and we also have an idea of what the Cardinals will probably do. Nice. Um, I, we talk a lot about depth, and the Cardinals don't have a lot of depth, but there also needs to be a quality over quantity mindset. You can't just go out there, if you're the Cardinals front office, and acquire three pitchers that don't move the needle in terms of improving your rotation. There's a difference between improving depth and improving performance. So I do expect the Cardinals to pursue all markets, free agency, trades, international. Um, and they've had some success, especially over in uh, the Japan leagues, Korean leagues, and uh, finding good, substantial talent there. But it's no secret, this is going to cost a lot of money. Uh, there's a reason why pitching is always in such high demand. Everybody needs it. Everybody wants it. So when John Mozeliak a couple weeks ago went out and said the Cardinals needed three starting pitchers, he didn't say they needed three aces, although you can make the argument that they do. That's not feasible, right? The Cardinals aren't going to go out there and pick up Snell, Nola, Gray, call it a day. That's not happening. I'd like that. They that'd can be make, awesome. Why I'm not, sure, Katie? Hold them accountable. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. But <laughs> let's, let's set our uh, – <laughs> that's good. Let's set the, the expectations here. They're going to get one of the three, maybe, and the job for finding the next one or two pitchers that complement that – big acquisition is to make sure you are finding depth coverage. Yes. But finding a quality option in that depth, the Cardinals don't need any more four or five starters. They have plenty of those. They need to find affordable, but consistent and dependable starting pitching that can slot in in the upper rotation. Of course, guys, that is so much easier said than done. You said the word consistent and dependable there. They do not apply to Tyler O'Neill's 2023 season, Whoa. to say the least. He's back on the injured list again, this time with a right foot sprain. Katie, I, I just want your perspective on this, because obviously this is not the year that Tyler O'Neill was hoping for or the year that the Cardinals were hoping for from Tyler O'Neill. And now they've got big decisions to make in the offseason. He's due for his final season of arbitration. It'll probably be about a seven-plus-million-dollar pay uh, pay scale for him this offseason if they decide to tender him. What do you think the future holds, at least in the immediacy, for Tyler O'Neill with the Cardinals? Yeah, he's a big question going forward, and it's unfortunate just when you think about how this entire season has transpired for both Tyler and the Cardinals. Neither side is happy about it. Um, we talked about this. 
Tyler has all the makings of a dynamic player when he's available, but being available is part of being a dynamic player. So I think the Cardinals have a decision to make in terms of what they do with him and the offseason because that will dictate, you know, who's available on the trade market, what, what priority do they need to put on other players, is Tyler going to be here, can they count on him? A lot of things are kind of factored into that decision. His trade value has never been lower from a business perspective. Uh, you know, it was pretty high after 2021. You can see why the Cardinals kept on to him in 2022. Um, and they really decided to keep him at the trade deadline and hope that these final two months would boost up his trade value. Uh, I think it's done the opposite just because he hasn't been available. He doesn't play very often. And the performance has been okay. But when you factor that in with the fact that he, you know, needs a lot of rest days, he's dealing with a lot of injuries. It's hard to justify that value both internally and externally. So I do think the Cardinals have a big decision to make. I do think Tyler has enough talent to for another team to be interested in. But when you throw in the injury history and the fact that he'll be a free agent after 2024, you can see why opposing teams wouldn't be willing to give up much in terms of a trade. And you can see why the Cardinals might feel a need to move on from Tyler just because they have that crowd in the outfield. But there's also maybe a reason to hold on to him because they might have to trade away some of those uh, – you know, the versatile players and the, the Edmonds, the Donovans, in, in terms to land a starting pitcher. So all of these things are pretty complex. They're all intertwined. But I do think if finding starting pitching is priority 1A and relief pitching is 1B, Tyler O'Neill's future is still in that number one priority right in there at 1C. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. We'll certainly be uh, reading your work over at The Athletic. People can read about uh, what you had to say on the Cardinals' decisions with their development and what the staffing is going to look like in the future. You've got a great piece over there on The Athletic right now. People can find that on her Twitter account, at Katie J. Wu. We appreciate the time as always. We'll talk with you again next week. You got it, guys. Have a good one. You got it. That's Katie Wu joining us as she does each and every Monday throughout the baseball season here on BK and Ferrario. I am very curious to see how the outfield decisions play into their pitching choices. And what I mean by that, Alex, is like, I, I think some of these decisions have almost been made for them. And I think that's part of what makes this intriguing so offseason. I don't think you're going to trade Brendan Donovan right now. It doesn't make any sense. He's coming off of elbow surgery where... I would imagine he doesn't have the same value today that he did three months ago. So why would I trade him? That's a guy that I want to build around anyways. And if I'm not going to be able to get the same value for him, well, let's just bring him back because that guy's awesome and he helps our team and he's a winning baseball player. With Tyler O'Neill, value's never been lower. Dylan Carlson, I don't think you can trade him this offseason. At worst, that guy's a pretty nice fourth outfielder. And I say that as somebody that's probably the low man on Dylan Carlson. So what you have remaining is... We don't really want to trade Lars Newtbar. We're definitely not trading Jordan Walker. I guess maybe Tommy Edmond. Do you consider listening on Nolan Gorman? Like the decisions get a little bit more difficult, and I'm not sure the trade route. I know we've talked a lot about how the Cardinals just go trade for that ace. As much as we talked about it, I I think they're going to have to spend. I, I think this is going to be about spending and then maybe packaging a deal for like a mid-rotation starter, if that's the route you want to go. Yeah, I mean, you got to make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. And right now, uh, it doesn't seem like the available pitchers via trade are going to be worth it if you're moving Gorman or Newt Bar. Tommy Edmond, I can listen to. I just don't think the value's there in terms of what you need for Tommy Edmond. Newt Bar, you're going to need that consistency in the outfield. And Gorman, I mean, we've talked about it. Like, I'd be willing to listen, but it's got to be a legit ace because otherwise you need that bat. Your identity is still going to be offense next year, so you need to keep that and just spend on the other ways. And look, if Tyler O'Neill's value is not there, 
just defa- just get rid of it then because you're clearing up the minutia in terms of guys that are available to you. And if you're not going to get back in return, then you just go to the free agent market and save the money that you would have been spending on him. Somebody said they got to listen to offers on Goldie. If they were going to do that, they would have done it at this year's trade deadline. Like, that's just the truth of the matter. It doesn't make sense to do it at this point because he has less value now by only being under contract for one more season as opposed to what you could have gotten for him at this year's trade deadline had you been listening. They made their decision on Goldie much like they made their decision on Ollie. Friday was not the day that they announced that Ollie Marmol was going to be the manager in 2024. That happened months ago when they decided not to fire him while their season was spiraling out of control. They told you with their actions, not necessarily their words, Ollie Marmol is the guy that we believe in to be the manager for the Cardinals for 2024. Maybe if next season goes poorly, that changes. But for the immediate future, Ollie Marmol and Paul Goldschmidt, at least based on what we have seen publicly, will both be here in 2024. I'd be surprised if that's not the case. Yeah, and by committing to staying with Paul Goldschmidt to that point, you've got to go out and spend. There is no, and Ken Rosenthal wrote this at the time of the trade deadline, you can't play the middle ground anymore. You either had to tear it kind of down with Paul Goldschmidt being part of that and trading him to help get some young assets, or you, if you keep Paul Goldschmidt and you have Nolan Arnato on this team, you got to go for it. And that's where the Cardinals are. They're going to have to spend the money because I think you're right. I, I think at best they probably got to have to trade for a mid-rotation arm because I don't want to give up Gorman for even Dylan Cease because Cease has some underlying issues, and he's probably going to be the top pitcher on the trade market this offseason. So you've got to go for it. And where, what does that mean? You're going to have to spend significant dollars to go add to this rotation while also trying to figure out how you're going to piece this bullpen together. And that's where... I think Tyler O'Neill becomes a conversation of can we get a bullpen arm for him? Or do we save that money on him and Hudson, as you said earlier, save around that probably $10 million bucks and use that money to go get a bullpen arm to help us out? That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Alex Ferrario, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we're playing a game of in or out. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. If you want to throw in a scenario, we'll get started with this. In or out. Saturday's win means that Missouri is going to finish with at least nine oh, wins boy. on the year. We'll get to it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. here on BK and Ferrario. Let's start with this boys in or out after their win over the weekend against the top 15 program in Kansas state, the Missouri Tigers will finish with at least nine victories this season. Alex in or out. And I, I think after that K state game, it clarified it for me that they could win nine Vanderbilt looks like I'm on board with that one. South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, and then Arkansas. The two that I'm just in question about are Georgia and LSU. He's got 10. That's what I said earlier. I, like it. I don't know how I went from seven to six to eight, now to 10, but here's where we are. Hey, man, down welcome to, to five after they lose Memphis this that, week. That is called being a fan. And you, sir, are a Tigers. Yeah, I will. I will ish on this team when they lose to Memphis. And then the next week when they win against Vanderbilt, I'll be back on board. So I'll say I'm in. I think they'll get two nine. I, Ooh, I think they're going to lose. So I've got losses versus LSU. Georgia, and I think they'll lose one of Tennessee or Florida. I'm not quite sure which, but I think... Both at home. They're winning both. Yeah, well, okay. Mm. I agree. Let's call it out. I think they can lay an egg somewhere along the line, so I would say they're going to lose one like of Kentucky. those games. 
on the road. Yeah. Kentucky. Kentucky um, or Vanderbilt feels like the egg. I think there's one more loss that we're not talking about. So I think they can get to nine. I think they're going to go nine and three. <sighs> nine 11. and three feels right to me. Eleven. Uh, one of the I, I've got the Kentucky South Carolina little stretch there. I feel like Kentucky because it's coming off of that LSU game potential for a letdown on the road. Kentucky always plays Missouri tough. They've been really underwhelming so far this season. Their offense has not looked good with Devin Leary at the helm, but I'm going to say I'm in. I do think this team has a real chance to get to nine wins this season, and why not? I'll be optimistic, and my other out that I can use is a little disclaimer. I could always get eight during the regular season and then win in the uh, bowl game. Get to nine. You're a coward. Say 12. You're a coward. 12. Coward. Alex, what do you got for in or out? Uh, in or out, boys, by the end of t- preseason for St. Louis, one of Zachary Bolduc or Zachary Dean earns a spot. On the NHL roster? Out. out. Could not be more out. I, Where's the spot? How do they get there? Yeah, that's my thing, isn't <laughs> it? Apparently, we've got like 15 guys for the fourth line, so it's going to be there. I know, out. And I can't see, well, one, I can't see Bolduc being a fourth liner. I could see Dean being a fourth Dean liner. Dean would be the one that is more yeah. interesting in this scenario to me. But, Watching him at that prospect tournament over the weekend, got the skill for it. I don't know yeah. if he's got the I don't know if he's got the physicality against NHL players for it, but he's definitely got the skill for it. Um, I would say out just because I think if anybody could do it, it would be Dean. And that's not a shot against Bold. I just don't see him as a fourth liner. And there's, as you said, there's like 15 guys competing for it. So it's a uphill battle to get onto the roster. So I'm going to say out. This, this might sound weird, man, but uh, I guess would, you're in. No, I would. No, I'm out on this oh. one because I don't believe there's a spot, but I actually would lean more towards Bullduke earning a spot out of camp than Dean. How? Because I think if you're talking about his offensive prowess, you can outplay somebody that's slated to be that fringe third or fourth line player. I guess he would take the spot from neighbors. That's what I'm thinking. If neighbors doesn't have a great camp, neighbors could be looked at as a fourth liner and you could be talking about Bolduke. Bolduke's got to like be the most impressive player in camp. But if we're talking goal scoring, I think the problem there is like, I feel like the guy that you would replace from that fourth line, the most likely one is Sonny. And I don't know who else is centering that fourth line. If you don't have him there, I I think it could be a Blay. Can Blay play center? No, um, well, Blay can play center. Yeah. Um, but I think you could see Blay getting replaced. And frankly, I don't. The notion of Sonny being an every night player, we, we do have to take that with a grain of salt because the, the guy has dealt with a lot of injuries. He might be that fringe player. I've heard he's in the best shape of his well, life. Well, I've heard that about Paul DeYoung too, and look Blay, how that went. Blay has taken ten career faceoffs. What's his percentage? Thirty-eight. He, he, but he's played the position. Right. He's not a natural centerman, but you could get somebody who plays the position. I'm out on. I'm out too, but I'm right just now. saying. Like, there's just too many roster issues that come up if you were to make a move like this. I think it's interesting, but I think Dean is the one that is much easier to fit into the roster construction with the way that they're going about it right now. I still think Nick Ritchie is the most likely one, though, the, of the like non-current top 12 forwards. I think Nick Ritchie's the guy that could really play himself into this roster. I might get you a Ritchie jersey for your birthday. What number is he wearing? 21. 21. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in or out, the Miami Dolphins are the best team in the AFC. It's not, the, it's not the Chiefs anymore. Your yes, team looked stank. awful. By the way, Nick Ritchie's going to wear number 27. Um, Damn it. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> that was the reaction that what? I was looking for there. If uh, anybody's going to do it, I think. by the way. Just to clarify for anybody listening, I'm kidding. If I just anybody's going to do reaction. it, Falk, <laughs> Falk should go like ultimate God mode and just say 72. Bleep that. I'm 27 this year. Best team in the AFC right now, yes. Best team in the AFC by the time we get to the playoffs, no. This Chiefs defense is for real, dude. 
They are legitimately good defensively. And Chris Jones looked like a monster on Sunday against the Jaguars. I I couldn't believe how good he looked coming off of the street like (laughs) four days later. So I think the Chiefs will be the best team in the the AFC and in the NFL by the end of the season. I know people are going to call me a homer. That's fine. Watch the games. They're awesome. And they just need to figure this thing out offensively. I'll bet on their offense with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey. They'll figure that out. I think the Dolphins will be the team they play in the AFC Championship game, though. I think they're the second Who's best team. Who's at home? Miami. Finish with the best yep. regular season record? I think they're the best team. I, their defense, obviously, is still want to see more out of, but I don't know how you stop that offense. And if Tua gets hurt, then obviously it changes everything, but that's for most teams. But I, I just... I can't buy into the Bills. The Chiefs are a little concerning for me. I mean, the next team that I'm considering are the Ravens, and I think Miami is better than Baltimore. I'm with you. I'm in. I Offensively, they're just too dynamic. I, I don't know how you stop them. And watching them play last night, I know New England kind of shut them down in the second half. I mean, they just get the ball out of two of his hands so quick. He doesn't really got a have- running game now. Yeah, Mostert looked great. Mostert looked awesome. 31, whatever. Age is but a number. That guy was shot out of a cannon last night. Oh, he looked awesome. Um, Continues. I, <laughs> I'm in, and I think the defense is going to improve because they looked better last night. I think week one against the Chargers was a bit of a fluke. They've got too many guys that are studs defensively, and they're still hoping that Jalen Ramsey will come back late in the season. So I'm in. I think they're the team to beat in the AFC. I think I'm still going to give the Chiefs their their credit. Like, I'm not trying to say, like, sure. forget about KC. No, once they figure things out offensively, you're right. That defense looked awesome yesterday, and that's going to be the team uh, to beat Miami. They're probably the only one I would circle right now. I'm still waiting for the Chiefs to trade for Mike Evans. When they trade for Mike Evans, then I'm going to be By back way, on board with the Chiefs. What a Mike Evans. Be yeah. careful about yeah. that NFL like trade deadline talk. That's exactly Tampa Bay why. Buccaneers are 2-0, and my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Shake, shaky bakey. them in daily fantasy shaky this weekend. BK. Shaky hey, bakey's waiting. Peek behind the curtain. I brought up to BK on Thursday in the office. I was like, hey, I heard on like fantasy radio you know like they're saying stack the bucks stack the bucks why would you ever do that and then this guy does it on saturday unbelievable by the way 3143999966 would you guys be interested in us doing like a fantasy corner five minute segment on fridays bk shouldn't give that opinion something like that daily fantasy or just regular we, we could potentially do I something ask like BK that for help. five minutes on tells Friday. me to play breeze hall guess what breeze hall did this week he, he went off yeah off the freaking deep end and sat on the bench the rest of the night i i had to play breeze hall on my lineup Point as nine well, points don't play garrett wilson he's not gonna be any good guys in or out the atlanta falcons are a top three team in the nfc out out they won two games by the hair of their chinny chin actually by their upper lip 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 of arthur smith you almost lost that game that if aaron jones is playing in that game we're talking about atlanta being one and one they've had an easy cupcake schedule so far out on this one i'm out as well they should have lost that game that was a terrible collapse by the green bay packers and desmond render does not look like a franchise quarterback (laughs) they if you don't have a passing game that I'm scared of, I'm going to take the lead on you, and then I'm eventually going to stop your running game. So I'm out. I don't think they're a top three team in the NFC. I'm still skeptical of them being a playoff team, even though they're 2-0. Dallas is the best team in the NFL right now. Yeah, by far. Yes. They are the most dominant team that I have seen, and I would have San Francisco, too, as I'd my second that. best team in the NFL right now over anybody that I've seen from the AFC, because I think their offense is basically the equivalent of what you're seeing right now in Miami. Maybe not to the same degree, but pretty damn close. Would you have Miami over Philly? 
You're going overall? As of today, based on what we've seen so far. Projecting forward, I would probably still take Philly, but yeah, what we've seen. I think I'd take Philly in that situation just because like their their offensive line and run game is so difficult to stop. And I know the throwing game is difficult for Miami as well, but that's probably my one-two punch at three and four, Miami and Philly. The reason why I bring up those teams, San Francisco and Dallas, is because I think that third spot in the NFC is really interesting right now. I have not been as impressed so far by Philly. I've got some serious questions about them. I think that I would still take them, but the third spot is between Philly and Atlanta right now. And you could maybe argue one of the Seahawks or the Lions will end up getting there. But I think that's kind of the list. So I will say I'm out as well. I think Atlanta, though, has a chance to be that team. I think we're underestimating what they can be so far. And I say that as somebody that picked them going into the season. You got to get a quarterback. The the part that (laughs) is quarterback's terrible. Yeah, he's he's not. Desmond Ritter is just not. I mean, he looks like he throws like five times a game. Yeah, but he looks like he's afraid in the pocket. And sooner or later, like T-Bone said, they're going to know what you're doing. Like even in Green Bay started to read the play. Like we know you're going to hand it off to Bijan. The the part that because I don't disagree with anything that BK just said. That just shows how bad the NFC is. You now, we can look at the Atlanta Falcons that. and say they don't have a franchise quarterback. They just run the damn football. Defense is good, okay. And then we look at them and go, top three. The sad part is there's going to be an AFC team that's going to draft Caleb Williams, and it's not going to be an NFC team. Oh, it, it's going to be the Bears. Oh, see, I think it's going to be the Texans. Well, they don't have their pick, They don't remember? have their pick. Gonna, the Bears going to have their pick. Uh, oh, it goes the- to Arizona, yeah. Oh, okay, so Arizona's going to get it. Oh, yeah. did you see Joshua Dobbs in the first half? Dude, the Cardinals are more competitive than I was giving them credit for. Yeah, Dobbs actually looked good. He, did you see his touchdown? Yeah. yeah. That was amazing yesterday. By the way, the Giants. <laughs> I don't want to hear yeah, they from need a any of the Daniel Jones truthers ever again. Yeah. All of you, get the hell out of here. I'm done with you. Coming up He next. did make a Pro Bowl. I was there. So did Tyler Huntley. So did Andy Dalton. Whoa. Coming up next, Whoa. the Blues have three forwards on the NHL's top 100 players list. Will they get a defenseman on that list by the start of next season? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and T-Bone on BK. So earlier today, The Athletic put out their list of the top 100 players in the NHL. Sounds like a Dom list. They did this by tiers. The number one player in the NHL, though, had his own tier. It was just Connor McDavid. Alex, out of curiosity, do you agree with that? No, not at all. It should be Connor Bedard. Yeah, Connor McDavid. He was on this list, by the way. Connor, who was... Leon Dreisaitl, the, the next one? He was in the next tier. I yeah. was going to say, it yeah. Was dry, the second tier is Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews, and Kale McCall. I think you could make the argument for Leon Dreisaitl to be up there with McDavid, but yeah, I mean, it's clear cut. He's the only one. After that, there was one more, like, it's tier 1A, B, and C, because you know how this works. Oh, well, Kyra had to be in one of those. Jack Hughes, David Posternock, Matthew Kachuk, and Adam Fox. I think we've talked about, like, three of the players from this top tier over the last two years as Adam potential Fox. trade chips uh, for the Blue. Dude, Adam Fox is awesome. I know he is, but that just seems real quick. I mean, I guess the same could be said for Jack Hughes, but Jack Hughes had himself a breakout season to jump into that that uh, top echelon. Uh, Mitch Martyr, the defensive liability, according to Alex Ferrario, who's had multiple uh, Selkie I rescinded <laughs> that statement because I forgot that I liked Mitch Marner. <laughs> I forgot that I liked him. Uh, he's up uh, near the top of this list as well. The Blues do have three players that are on this list, Alex. 
They had Pavel Buchnevich, who's in kind of the same area as like Connor Bedard, Clayton Keller, Dylan Larkin, Steven Stamkos in that area of a legit all-star caliber performer, which actually felt right. I I was impressed by how high they had him on this list. It's wild to me. Connor Bedard's already in that category. He hasn't played one game in the NHL. Robert Thomas was on this list as well. He was considered to be a top-line player. He was in the same criteria as like a Sam Reinhart, um, Alex Tuck, that, those kinds of guys in that range. Again, feels pretty right to me. Yeah. And the final blue that is on this list was Jordan Cairo. He's also considered to be a top-tier player in the range of uh, Mark Shifley and a JT Miller, a Nick Schmaltz. Again, feels about right to me. Alex, do you think that they got it right in terms of the Blues players that should be on this list? Yeah, because I think that's exactly where everybody should be. Pavel Buchnevich is pretty clearly the the all-star of this group. And I know obviously Kairou has made the all-star game, but Buchnevich is that all-around player that becomes superstars. And if you look at the superstars, it's those ty- like Jack Hughes was in that top list. Like Jack Hughes plays a lot like Pavel Buchnevich to where he's very good on his other, on the defensive side of the game, but he is such a game changer on the offensive side. The only thing holding Buch back is his health. If he can stay healthy, I think he takes that step to a higher tier and Thomas and Kairou, the exact same Thomas being on the same tier as like a Sam Reinhardt and an Alex talk to me that that nails it because that's who he's been you've seen a lot of greatness but you've also seen the moments where you're like man where is that guy same can be said for Kairu and I think this season is going to bode well for both of them if they have success of taking them to that tier that Buchnevich is in so follow-up question on this because I I think we're all on the same page of this feels about right for the Blues players that are on it currently who's the Blues defenseman current or potentially future, that is going to be on this list in 2024. Because the back-end guys on this list are mostly players that we've talked about. Like Jacob Chikrin is on this list. Oh, Noah Hannafin. Nice. Oh, my gosh. John Marino, who I really wanted the, the Blues to go out there and acquire last offseason. Brett Pesci, who's been in some trade talks this offseason. Darnell Nurse is on this list. Do the Blues have either a current player on the roster that you believe will be a part of this conversation going into next season, or do you think that they will have to land that guy via trade slash free agent? I think you're going to have to land that guy, and I think Noah Hannafin is the perfect example of it. I've said it before, and I'll keep saying it. Like, you make the trade for him if Calgary moves him, or you sign him in the offseason. That's that legit top pair guy that you're hoping for. Uh, If you were to ask me who's the closest, it's Justin Falk. Because Falk has proven he's got the point productions for it. Defensively, he's got to be better. But offensively, he's a 50 to 60 point guy who you put on this conversation. And I guess if you were to ask me who could be Scott Perutovich, because if you look at all the defensemen on here, it's small offensive minded defensemen who put up a lot of points. Perutovich stays healthy. I said this and believe it or not, I think last week or two weeks ago, if Perutovich puts up 50 points and is playing number one power play minute in top four, you're talking about somebody who is getting towards that tier list. But again, health is going to be the biggest concern on this. If you want to see the full list, it's over at theathletic.com slash NHL right now. You can check it out there. You can also find the great work from Jeremy Rutherford and Katie Wu, our Cardinals insiders that join us weekly here on BK and Ferrario. Coming up next, we're going to give you a chance to win a four pack of tickets to Blues and Brews. And we got to discuss that big win once again for my Missouri Tigers. We'll do it all coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. 
DK, right now is your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to Blues and Brews this Friday evening at Anheuser-Busch Brewery. T-Bone is being lame. He's not going to be out there. But you can be meet Alex and myself out there Jerk. at Blues and Brews blues on Friday night. We'll be getting fired up for the Blues season at the Outdoor Street Party. You'll have appearances by Blues players and alumni, food trucks, merch, 101 ESPN giveaways, and so much more. We've heard a few of the things that they're going to be doing out there. I think it's going to be well worth your time. I think you guys will enjoy it if you end up going. They're going to get to see us. Of course it's worth their time. If you are texter number 101 at 314-399-9646 with the correct answer to the following question, you'll be getting that four pack of tickets to Blues and Brews. Earlier today, we had the distinct pleasure of being able to catch up with Cardinal starter Miles Michaelis. We asked him if he could go on a fishing expedition with any three people. Who would he choose, dead or alive? He answered with three different people. If you can name one of them correctly in your texture number 101, you are getting the four-pack of tickets to Blues and Brews. If you missed anything from today's show, including that interview with Miles Michaelis, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, let's finish this thing off the way that we started it. Mizzou gets a big win over the weekend. I have been highly critical of Eli Drinkwitz, of this offense, of their inability to punch up at legit top 25 opponents in the past. I was critical of them on Friday when I picked K-State minus the points. Said I need to see it before I believe it. Well, we saw it over the weekend. That was a pass-fail game. They passed their first big test of the college football season. Alex, they are 3-0 for the first time since 2018. What was your biggest takeaway from the game? That drink showed up with his play calling. I, I, I was very curious if they were just going to play it safe the way they typically do and you know, not go for those big booming plays because they realize that if they just stay in the game, they'll be fine. But instead, he opened up the playbook and props to um, to Kirby Moore, because I think Kirby Moore was a big part of this. But to be able to open up those deep threats downfield to utilize the speed of Luther Burden, that was the part that I was most impressed with, because frankly, I just thought he was afraid to make those plays. Now I know he's got it in his arsenal and I hope he uses it the rest of the season. Yeah, long as drink doesn't get in the way and they play an aggressive mindset of football instead of playing conservative Mizzou can win nine games and it's fair to dream on them because Luther Burns a difference maker Brady Cook is a good game manager as a quarterback and they've got the defense to play really well against some of the best teams in the country I believe so I think nine wins is worth dreaming on if you're a Mizzou fan you guys mentioned Burden so I'm gonna go with the other side of this Brady Cook dude What a hell of a game by him. I didn't know he was capable of that, honestly. I didn't know that the offense was capable of opening it up the way that they did on Saturday, and I didn't know that Brady Cook could execute that way. The guy that was known for his legs had to win the game with his arm because he sprained his knee halfway through it. There was a point in time where I texted you guys and I said, man, I'm worried for Brady Cook. We saw this last year against the exact same team where he gets hurt midway through the game and they have to go with somebody else. I wondered if we were going to see Sam Horn at some point in the third quarter because of his lack of mobility down the stretch. We didn't have to see that. They made winning plays down the stretch, and they found a way to come away with a victory against a legit. Maybe you don't think they're actually a top 15 team in Kansas State. That team's legitimately top 25, though. They're a very good football team, and Missouri beat them. They weren't gifted that thing. That was Missouri going out there and taking it from K-State. Kudos to them. Big one coming up this weekend in St. Louis against Memphis. We'll discuss that as we get along further here this week. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.